You're listening to episode 227 of the Comics Pals. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. Oh, I've been gone for two weeks. Just got back from Cancun. Wasn't doing anything that I wasn't supposed to. Uh, what did I miss? Well, being in Cancun is doing something you're not supposed to, right? Yeah. Oh, I was dropping my daughter off. It was fine, man. Yeah. So what? She, oh. was just, she was complaining about the situation in Philadelphia right now. Is that the problem? It's snowing too much here. Lots uh, of snow on the ground. Yeah, I I bounced. I I had well, you know, I had I had tickets. I had vacation plans. <laughs> I, can't, I can't cancel that. I it wasn't like I was shirking my responsibility on the Comics Palace podcast on purpose. I mean, I'm just saying, like. You know, you were here when Marco lost all of his money and went bankrupt, and then you just immediately left him in his hour of need. So I just feel like, I just feel like you're not really doing great to this represent your constituents. Frankly, this is an admission of anything. But where do you think that money went? Damn, Cancun. Right. All right. My my favorite part about having Phil on the show and when we record is that the bit will always be at least two weeks late. <laughs> that's a good point uh i never thought about that for a guy that works in journalism <laughs> <laughs> punctuality not his strong suit and and you know phil like this is why you need to fill your mind with comic books because you come on here we give you the 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 space of the opening bit and you want to make a ted cruz joke i don't give a shit about ted cruz it's weak um well, 230 comics. episodes. Why don't you tell us how he's the Zodiac killer too, Phil? That's real topical. Well, no, I have a different conspiracy theory. What oh. if he's actually Tayo Cruz? Don't right. know who that is. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> welcome to the show. Thank you for listening. Uh, we've got a lot to talk about today. <laughs> we finally have a title for Spider-Man 3, which is super exciting. Uh, we're going to talk about Marvel's uh, yearly summer event. Why do they have to be yearly? But summer event nonetheless. Uh, DC and a new partnership that's actually super exciting. And news about what JJ Abrams' first bad robot project with DC on film will be. It is a doozy. We're talking about a lot today. So we're not going to dilly dally too, too much. We're going to get into all of that very soon, but I want to let you guys know where you can find us all over the internet. We are, of course, the Comics Pals. You type that in anywhere, we will come up for sure. Um, and while you're there, while you're with us, uh, make sure that you guys are leaving, leaving us a review and a rating wherever you listen to your podcast. You can get us on social at the Comics Pals. You can write to us at the Comics Pals at gmail.com if you've got any questions or comments or anything you want to share with us. If you're on YouTube right now watching, thank you very much. Make sure that you guys hit that subscribe button so that you can be made aware of when we drop new content uh, and to help us out. Um, hit the notification bell, like this video, share it with your friends. All that stuff's free to do and it helps us out a lot more than it costs you. Also, if you want to hang out with us and continue the conversation post-show, you can do so by joining our Discord server where we're always having great conversations we're actually going to be doing a watch along for Zack snyder's justice league oh boy um, that's gonna be a doozy guys four hours of content i'll be in cancun <laughs> can you take me with you <laughs> uh 
so that's going to be fun. You're going to want to you're going to want to be around for that. Also, our Vision book club's out. So go check that out. Of course, that's Vision by Tom King, Gabriel Hernandez, Walter, Jordi Belair, uh, Clayton Cowles. I'm sorry if I missed anyone from the creative team. That's what I can do off the top of my head. Very good book, modern classic. If you haven't read it, now's a great time to do so with WandaVision just about to wrap up. Mm-hmm. Go check that out, the book, and then check out our book club. Speaking of WandaVision, we watch WandaVision every single week, every Saturday. We drop our review of WandaVision, which drops Friday. So we've got one out for you now, and then one more coming this Saturday. So you're going to want to check that out if you're following that series. Shawnee, I'm going to miss the show. I'm really going to miss it. Yeah, me too, man. Uh, it's it's been it's been really special. Um, it's a moment for sure. Again, Marvel really knowing how to stay within the zeitgeist, how to do something just different enough to keep people's attention. Just like us, the comics files. Right, exactly. Um, and then, of course, I would be remiss if I didn't mention our review of X Men eighteen. Of course, uh, by Jonathan Hickman, Mahmoud Azrar, and the rest of the squad. Um, that you can find also on our channel if you want to hear us talk about a book that we've been hotly anticipating since year one of Hickman's X-Men revival. Last plug, I promise. <laughs> we interviewed Mike Perkins for Swamp, The Swamp Thing, number one, which drops on Tuesday course that's one of the books leading the charge of the infinite frontier which also drops this tuesday so lots of big dc stuff but our interview with mike perkins is live now go check that out it was a fantastic conversation that you guys are not going to want to miss especially if you are excited for the swamp thing number one by him and ron v so we've got a lot going on right now lots of content hopefully you guys are invested and engaged and excited just as we are for all the stuff that's going on in comics we choose to celebrate that with you guys through all of this content so quickly yes if you for that swamp thing interview uh just a little tease um you're you're gonna be real excited to find out what interesting item mike perkins has he's got a sick swamp thing item that you're never gonna guess that's he true. Sh- he showed it to us during the interview, and it was rad. So you're going to want to check that one out on YouTube, it sounds. <clears throat> yes. He he actually shared with us uh, a couple of things that were super cool. So, um, you know, I don't, I don't always try to, like, push you guys towards YouTube, but I think if you are interested in the Mike Perkins interview, this is one you're probably just going to want to sit and, and watch on YouTube. It's not terribly long, uh, so I, w- I would give that one a try on YouTube for sure. Um, let's, let's actually just jump right into the pals polls. In fact, uh, because Kel and Pete both chose the swamp thing. Number one. So as we said, this is Mike Perkins and Ron V, um, starting a new generation of swamp thing. It sounds like, uh, called the swamp thing. Um, it sounds like, uh, uh, it's going to have little hints of, um, uh, Rom V as as a little bit of character influence there, um, uh, adding to uh, a, a whole new generation of Swamp Thing. I don't know. I'm not Marco. <laughs> Doing the best I can here. Yeah, I think um, 
the checking out the the future state stuff and like getting a, an idea of like how Swamp Thing could be presented in in um, different ways got me interested in the idea of like jumping on a, a new title that is going to be able to potentially um, push the character you know um, into some you know uncharted territory and like as a as a fairly new Swamp Thing fan. Um, you know, I, it feels like a, a good book to jump onto, you know, mm. and I, I'm sure Marco will be excited about it. So, um, yeah, I'm excited to see if it comes together. It's a new character, by the way. So if you've never read Swamp Thing before, but you're interested, now's a good time to jump on just because even though we know that it will reference things from the past for sure, you will have a new character vehicle to kind of guide you through some of the mucky part what, what's yeah. is a good word of choice do you and know Sean swamp. sorry well, do you know what the new character's name is no. Swamp Boy is the name of the character I actually just pitched that character to DC Comics it is wait wait yes? hold on shut up <laughs> uh, audience take your headphones out you start you were gonna start that story before we got on the thing and it was supposed to be your opening bit and that's not what you opened with <laughs> <laughs> what do you what are we paying you for our quality so jesus christ i You're pitched right. dc comics a uh, character named swamp boy it's basically marco as swamp things loyal sidekick and you know we're laying down the roots of something good over there so you know swamp thing number one check it out great the swamp thing number one uh so <laughs> Phil chose for New 52 Superman by Grant Morrison Omnibus. That actually dropped last week, That's but right. here we are. Yes, I wasn't there to sing the praises of Grant Morrison's Omnibus. This is a book I've wanted collected in an Omnibus for, at this point, seven years, I guess. And it collects the first 18 issues and the annual number one of... Grant Morrison's Action Comics run, which was at the time intended to be a new generation of Superman. You know, this is the new 52 era. A lot of people had mixed feelings, uh, controversial to say the least, of this new iteration of Superman. But I really, really, really like this run a lot. It's really creative. The nonlinear narrative it, it, it weaves in a way that really pays off in the end. I could have used another, you know, 50 issues of this run, but all we got was 18 and it's all collected here in one omnibus. Yeah, I'm buying this this week. So I am over the moon. <clears throat> Might have to get it myself. I didn't even like the run that much, actually. But I might have to get it. <laughs> but you have FOMO when it comes to getting these books, apparently. <laughs> you have no idea. I found the name of the new Swamp Thing, by the way. It's Levy uh, Kamai? Kami? I don't know. They're going to go to Thank India, though. It's going to be cool. Uh, one thing. This, this book has my second favorite Superman look next to the classic kind of look. Okay. which is Superman in a t-shirt with the emblem with patched up jeans, farmer boots, and the, the cape. I like farm boy Superman a lot. That's a great look. That cover is gorgeous. That number one from that yeah. from that run is legit. Yes. Where he's like holding up the uh, 
what is it a farm truck or whatever the tractor right tractor yeah, yeah. farm truck <laughs> the farm truck smoking like a true new yorker <laughs> yeah you can tell someone grew up in the country <laughs> i feel like i'm a a wwe announcer in, in the <laughs> wwe they can't call a hospital a hospital so they call it a medical facility right. <laughs> and then for whatever reason i don't even know why taz who is it doesn't matter who he is uh he's an announcer um he doesn't refer to a um he doesn't refer to a uh, like a Car? <laughs> what are you doing? He's like miming a wheel. I'm very confused. Sorry, this Welcome is something that rates. never happens in public. Ambience? I only do this in front of Rebecca, but it just it just unleashed. Um, I forget what things are called. <laughs> I have to mime them to try and remember. Is but it... he refers to something as a steel wheel, and it's like that is so wrong. <laughs> what the hell is a steel wheel? Like, what? it's just anyway. Um. The point is <laughs> that that was weird. But um, you know what? That was weird. Yeah, you're right. Uh, one other thing to mention: I, I, I failed to mention who did the art. It was Rags Morales, and uh, I think the book mm. looks terrific. So, oh yeah, yep, definitely. Um, so I chose Eniac or Eniac number one. This is a bad idea book. So. It very well may be a bad idea for me to buy this. <laughs> but it actually looks really cool. Uh, it's by Matt Kent and oh, cool. Doug Braithwaite. Um, and I thought that the concept was was really interesting. Uh, as someone who's a big fan of the Terminator, uh, I'm going to read just a little bit of it uh, so that you guys can get an idea of what this book is about. At the height of World War II, the world's most ingenious minds began a race to create a superweapon capable of ending the war with the push of a button. One of those projects gave us the atom bomb, and another produced the world's first supercomputer, ENIAC, Electronic Numerical Integrator and Computer, an immeasurably complex mathematical model that targeted the Axis war machine by calculating missile trajectories and troop deployments. Everybody knows that. It's real-life American history. Uh, and then basically the idea is that from there, ENIAC has a mind of its own and it chooses to launch another missile. Um, That's a really that cool idea. Yeah, that <laughs> changes you know, the future. And then 75 years after that, ENIAC decides that humanity is on a clock because it's going to launch all the missiles and kill everybody. And so now we have to kill ENIAC. So I thought it looked really cool. Matt Kinn is a writer who I've actually never read anything from, I don't think. But I've always heard he's quite talented. So it's a number one. I'm going to give him a shot. This is a very cool concept. I love stuff like this. So I'm all in. Yeah, Kinn is one of these, um, In for me, that's uh, like Jeff Lemire. I always look at his name and go, I'm not going to like that. But when I take the chance his stuff floors me wow um ether is one he did a couple of years ago where a uh like a physics professor goes he finds a portal to a, a another dimension and his whole shtick is that he's he's sort of a uh, crime fighting well a detective superhero kind of like an adam strange but he he goes back and he 
he hasn't aged, but the rest of the world has continued. Hmm. Um, and so it's it's a, a a mix of like the fallout from that, but also the mystery of the world in the ether. It's incredible. Huh. Okay. Uh, by the way, just so I can clarify that I'm not actually insane. What the word I was looking for was tire earlier. <laughs> Steel uh, wheel. So yes. yeah. So this was tire. <laughs> it was. Car. Getting me, it was yeah, it was getting me to tire. <laughs> okay. uh, yeah, so they don't call tires tires; they call them steel wheels for whatever reason. Anyway, the other book I chose this week is Chariot Number One. Uh, this is from artists, writers, and artisans. Another publisher who I've never read anything from. They've got a few books I've been interested in, but. For whatever reason, like I've just missed them or, you know, then there was the pandemic going on. So like it's just it's been tough for certain books. Mm-hmm. But the I, Axel Alonso uh, company, right? And Bill Jemis. Yeah. Yes. Um, this is a book by Brian Edward Hill and Priscilla Portraits. I love Brian Edward Hill. We've had him on the show before. Uh, he's one of my favorite creators in comics by a large margin. So this is a no-brainer. But the concept is also pretty interesting. So once again, I will read it for you. The Chariot was a Cold War-era secret government project to provide its star agent with a weapon unlike any other in the form of a supercharged muscle car. It sank into the ocean decades ago and the agent along with it. Now, a petty criminal looking to reform his life has stumbled upon the Chariot. He's about to find out that the agent's consciousness is still controlling it in this synthwave thriller. Hmm. So this is something that's right up Brian's alley. He loves kind of like that synthwave, like 80s heat um, vibe. Night Rider. Yeah, absolutely. That's what he's into. And so I love it when creators get to do books that are like in their wheelhouse mm. uh, that they otherwise wouldn't get to do. So I'm very excited. Is that one of those? Um, uh, what, what do you call them? Uh, uh, books? No. Uh, Tree shavings. No. Uh, hmm. Smaller than a book. Uh, what's the Comics. Name? That's it. There we go. We got there. <laughs> okay. And so how do you tie that in? Because... What I was trying to get across was that they would use an improper or like a very literal phrase to describe something that has a name. So how do you tie the bit together? He's been backstage reading one of those funny books. What do you call them? <laughs> uh. Those magazines. Uh, so this week, though, there are so many big books dropping. Um, DC, Future State is over officially now. I'm pretty confident. That's so, the past So, uh, Batman's coming back with Batman 106, which is huge. Uh, we're getting a crime syndicate book mm-hmm. by Andy Schmidt. That is wild. Wild. Uh, Infinite Frontier number zero is coming out, which of course includes the first appearance of one Shazadam. <sighs> Can't forget that. Uh, <laughs> We're getting, of course, the Suicide Squad relaunch, the Swamp Thing relaunch, which we talked about a little bit. Um, so just a ton of, of of big, big books that are all dropping this week. Um, 
Berserker comes out this week. Berserker comes out this week. Noctera comes out this week by Scott Snyder. Yeah, uh, that's pretty huge. Um, Avengers forty three, which is the beginning, I believe, of the Phoenix tournament uh, that they've been hyping uh, a lot. Demon Days by Peach Momoko is coming out. Like, oh my god, this week is just mind blowing. Make it to your local comic shop this week, for the love of God. Sean's losing it. He's flipping the camera. It's just, it's just he's going nuts. right now. It's nuts. Yeah, I wish I could go right now. I really do. These comics are flying off the shelf. <laughs> no, you think I'm bugging? Listen, no. I go to Midtown Comics every single week, and every single week. There's at least one book that I wanted that they don't have or a cover that I wanted that they no longer have. It's 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 really crazy. Um, it, it's, these books are flying off the shelves, and this week is going to be huge. Some sure. good stuff. And it feels good because, you know, obviously we last year around this time, we started speculating about like comics and the pandemic. That became a big narrative on the show. Yeah. And – you know, we talked about, like, will comics survive this? Where will we even be at one year from now? And, you know, not only do comics still exist, not only can we still have these kinds of conversations, but, like, comics are thriving, it feels yeah. like, right now. We've come a long way, Sean, since the Daphne Byrne days of the pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, I'm, I'm glad to see that a lot of that doom and gloom seemed to be unfounded. You know, like obviously we lost stores, you know, and that's always a, always a hit. Um, but yeah, it, it does seem like the industry is like not just surviving, but really thriving. Which is great to see. Unless you're DC comics, I guess, who doesn't seem like they know what they're doing. Well, we'll have to see how this week goes. Yeah. You might be eating your words next week when uh swamp thing. Number one sells <laughs> 6 million copies and beats out berserker. The swamp thing. Come on. Right, of course. You're right. Uh, I don't know. Just, I'm just excited for the industry. Do you, go ahead. Do you feel like it's finally like I'm, you know, back on the right track here, moving forward? Um, I think that it it's weird because we talked about about so much upheaval, yeah, that we anticipated, and that really hasn't happened. Um, but the comics industry moves very slowly, so we might not see the result of of how the industry plans to react to the pandemic still for another year. Uh, we haven't even seen all the books and all the ideas that existed before the pandemic come out, hmm. which is weird. We're going to talk about Marvel's summer event here in a little bit, and that event was actually supposed to be 2020's event. They pushed it back an entire year. Huh. So things like that, like a lot of the, um, a lot of the, uh, another thing we're going to talk about, Dan, Dan Didio era ideas like Generations and 5G, a lot of that stuff we're still seeing. Infinite Frontier is, is, is an idea that predates the pandemic. So um, it's just so wild how the comic industry is, is that far, it operates that far ahead, you know? So moving into the news, because this does happen to also have been a big week in news, uh, we finally got a title for Spider-Man 3, and it's perfect. So 
Spider-Man, Marvel Spider-Man 3 is officially titled No Way Home. And <sighs> it feels right to me. It it feels like it lines up pretty well with your theory, I'll tell you that. <laughs> Listen. I obviously have been theorizing on this podcast for a very long time about what Spider-Man 3 is going to be. It's been super exciting to watch all of this unfold and uh, really, really takes me back to when I was a teenager and I used to like watch the trailers for these movies like 55,000 times and just try to piece them together um, and figure out everything that I possibly could until I got to the theater and, that, and then I just knew the movie. Um, this movie has definitely brought me back to that time in my life and it's been such a fun, uh, journey. Um, and to get a title now that like Pete said, does kind of feel validating, um, is even more exciting. So the way they revealed it was through, uh, an Instagram video by Tom Holland. That's kind of supposed to be like a behind the scenes thing, but it's really a bit, um, if you haven't seen it, you can check it out on his Instagram. Um, it's just, it's just them. It's just Tom and Zendaya and uh, Jacob trying to figure out what the name of the movie is going to be. And they go to uh, John Watts um, office and he gives them a fake name for the film. And then they walk by a, a board, um, a whiteboard that has a bunch of different fake titles on it. Um, but then ultimately has the Spider-Man No Way Home title on it. Um, and some of these are really funny, like Home Sweet Home, uh, <laughs> No Place Like Home, Home Run. Home Run was one that I saw a lot. Uh, and people thought Home Run would be the title. Uh, work From Home <laughs> is one of them. <laughs> work From Home is pretty good. <laughs> that, that is the pandemic Spider-Man movie. Right, uh, uh, homeschooled, homesick, homesick. I homesick would be was, good. Was viable because of the uh, the content of the movie. Yeah, but No Way Home certainly feels appropriate. There were uh, the tweets that Zendaya and other cast members made, where it was like Home Slice. That was one. <laughs> yeah, uh, Home Wrecker. Uh, phone Home was another. <laughs> Phone home, yes. That's the E.T. Spider-Man crossover, of course. It's the one we've been waiting for, honestly. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I, I obviously, like, there's not too much else to go on aside from that little bit, but um, <laughs> given the theory that you've you've crafted on this podcast, it definitely got me thinking. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, I think, I think at the very least, it definitely feeds into the idea that you know, this along with uh, WandaVision and Doctor Strange are are definitely pointing to this broader multiversal, you know, um, type storyline, right? Like, what else could this mean? Yeah, um, exactly. I think we're finally going to get the Home Improvement Spider-Man crossover that we've all been clamoring for <laughs> Tim Allen he tries to build him a web slinger and it blows up or something I don't think so spider Tim <laughs> stupid next villain Tim the tool man Taylor 
<laughs> yes, I can buy Tim Allen as a villain. Oh yeah. Like a lot of people if... have been. Oh boy. <laughs> I don't want to talk about Tim Allen anymore. Actually. Yeah. So a lot of people right. have been out that uh, there are a lot of um, hexagons mm-hmm. in the whiteboard uh, that we're that that we're referencing in the video. There are a lot of hexagons present, um, and so people are suggesting that that's a reference or tie-in to uh, WandaVision. Hmm. Yeah, so we know that Doctor Strange is going to be in Spider-Man 3, No Way Home. Um, There's been rumors that Scarlet Witch will also appear. This could be them just playing with us, but uh, based on what we know or what we think we know about the movie and based on what we think we know or what we know about WandaVision, that does seem to line up. Yeah, that doesn't seem crazy to me at all. Or, you know... A lot of honeycombs are made up of hexagons. Does Spider-Man have a bee-themed villain? Ah, uh, yes, the Bee Man. <laughs> Weirdly enough, I don't think he does. Yeah, he does. Uh, Swarm. Does he? Oh, um, perhaps Swarm confirmed. Nothing... Yeah, perhaps this has nothing to do with WandaVision, and this has more to do with the fact that his villain's going to be Swarm, played by Tim Allen. I love it. Love it. Yep. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I just I don't know where this podcast is going. Uh, it's <laughs> it's it's exciting to have a name. Um, I can't wait to see some footage. That would be great. Um, but we did also learn this week that Tom Holland's contract expires after this movie oh wait what i thought he had one more so he says uh he says i'm going to take a break and travel the world it's the first time since i signed on to spider-man homecoming that i don't have a contract with someone i might go skiing because blah 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 um so he's not necessarily being clear because he's not under only one contract, right? Mm-hmm. So he's under a contract with Marvel and a contract with Sony. So I don't know exactly what that means. Like it's his cuz so he did the two Avengers the two Avengers movies, Civil War, and then two Spider-Man movies and then this will be the final uh, Spider-Man film. Oh, I get it. Okay. So Tom's contract was always for six movies. Sony's contract with Marvel was for five movies. I see. I see. They renegotiated the contract between themselves to include this movie and one more. But Tom is technically done. So they do have to renegotiate with Tom Holland but that's separate from their from from Sony and Marvel's deals. So wait to explain. Ex- uh, let me ask a clarifying question. Then does that mean that Sony and Marvel have one more agreement for a Spider-Man movie between them that doesn't necessarily include Tom Holland? Is that what that means? Yeah, it means that a live-action Spider-Man, a, mo- a live-action movie 
that includes Spider-Man and is produced by Marvel will release okay. at some point in the future. Whether Tom Holland is playing Spider-Man in that movie, we don't know. Although he also says in an interview that he will play Spider-Man until the end of time. And all they have to do is tell him they want him. And he's waiting for their phone call. Okay. Uh, so likely not the last time we'll see him in the suit. I'll be shocked if it was. Okay. All right. I wonder. I wonder if it has anything to do with the fact that he's he's filming Uncharted too. He's he's playing Nathan Drake in the Uncharted movie. Oh yeah. And I'm wondering if that is potentially why he's being a little coy about when it's the finished. next time he might be Spider Man again would be if he's about to go shoot another movie. Kills right. Uh, I think that's finished. Uh, oh, that's done. The pre, was it the pre pro or whatever Marvel president or the Sony uh, Amy Pascal? Sony. Yeah. yeah. Somebody, some lady who is. It, a big time in charge said uh, at some point when Spider-Man three first started filming that she happened to walk by Tom or something, said something to him and she went, hold on. That's not Peter Parker. That's Nathan Drake. <laughs> and, uh, and I think it was John Watts was like, don't worry, we'll get that out of him. Okay. Yeah. So uh, notoriously Tom, put his foot down on wearing a wig for Spider-Man No Way Home. He got a cool haircut to play Nathan Drake, and he just doesn't feel like growing his hair, but he also doesn't feel like wearing a wig. So um, there, he was just like, you guys are going to have to accept that, you know, I'm going to look different in this movie because I'm not doing it. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, when he says, like, oh, I haven't been on, under contracts in years and I want to go skiing, like, I mean, come on. That's how long is that gonna like you know, I could go go skiing for like three years. Yeah, right. <laughs> He's gonna go on vacation for a few months and be like, I'm probably ready to work again. <laughs> yeah, that's all I'm saying. Um the other thing that he said that I found really, really interesting is that Sony and Marvel have already figured out their future plans for Spider Man. So he said the way I understand it is that agreement between the two studios has already happened. I don't think they're going to run into some troubles that they did as we were going into Spider-Man 2. Far From Home had come out, and then the whole thing happened between Sony and Marvel. I think the two studios have worked, it, have worked that out, and I don't think that that will be a problem in the future. That said, I'm just one actor, and I was part of a few phone calls during that process, but I think they love working with each other. I think they found a way which it can be beneficial for both studios. And I'm just kind of like a kid in the middle of it between two parents during an argument. Mm. So I believe him 100%. I just don't believe that they're going to have a necessarily a working relationship anymore. I think they found a way to make each other happy that doesn't involve uh, Spider-Man Peter Parker appearing in an ad nauseum amount of you know Marvel movies going forward. What if uh, what if that hexagon is like a, an allusion to the Sinister Six? You know, six sides. <laughs> you know, I thought you were going to say something horrifically dumb, but uh, that, <laughs> that is not crazy. And in fact, part of my belief is that the Sinister Six will be in this movie. So. Yeah, like what if uh, that WandaVision thing that people are speculating is kind of a red herring or whatever. Sure. Or uh, double meaning. 
That's true, too. Or a double meeting. Like um, double meeting. An- another thing is, uh, I'm pretty sure Tom Holland has a... He's got, like, a reputation for putting his foot in his mouth, not just putting his foot down, I guess, but putting his foot in his mouth during these interviews where he accidentally blabbed something that he wasn't supposed to. They made a joke about that in the the reveal of the the movie title (laughs) of like, he's like, I don't know why they won't tell me. And they're like, really? You don't know why? Yeah. So I, I I would, I would imagine, I, I I don't think he is uh, deliberately a misleading person. I think he's a little too earnest in these types of uh, interviews. He absolutely is a, a deliberately misleading person. He keeps denying that Andrew Garfield and to, uh, Tobey Maguire are in the movie. Oh, well, they're not. You know, he said so. Right. <laughs> it's it's actually wild, though, because Marvel has played us many, many times. So um, if you're, like, really focused on Marvel movies, you'll remember that in Infinity War, uh, in the trailers, they showed Thanos and Captain America fighting and Cap is like trying to hold Thanos's fist and you can see the infinity gems in Thanos's uh, gauntlet but he doesn't have them all and that scene in the actual movie he does have them all or he's missing one rather they make it look like he has like three or something something like that um and that's one example. Another example is in Thor, um, love. What's it called? Love and Thunder is a new one. Thor Ragnarok. Uh, they show Thor having uh, both his eyes, but in fact, he only has mm. one in the scene that they're that they're uh, referencing. So Marvel plays us pretty frequently. WandaVision, with no spoilers whatsoever, is not going exactly the way that we thought it would. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's been a lot of mind games there as well. So we know Andrew Garfield and Tom Holland or Tobey Maguire are have done something. They've had involvement in the movie. We have absolutely no way of knowing the depths of their involvement. It could be it could be nothing. Could be know? one scene, you know? Right. Like, who knows? Um, so I'm just saying that to say I think all this stuff is super interesting and uh, I can't wait for more news about this movie. But we got a name. No way home. Home slice. We also have a name for Marvel's summer event in the comics. Infinite Destinies is on the horizon. This event is going to feature and star Black Cat. I like that. (laughs) Uh... (laughs) So she's going to be getting her paws on the Infinity Gauntlet this summer. And uh, that's going to be the focus of of an event. Um, So during Comics Pro's retailer event, we did see the cover for uh, Black Cat number eight by Pepe Larraz that shows, um, you know, her trying to get trying to get this uh, Infinity Gauntlet and the Infinity Stones. Um, and then that's going to tie into this Infinite Destinies event, which is going to play out across eight different annuals. So uh, it'll be Iron Man Annual Number 1, which will guest star Quantum, Captain America Annual Number 1, which will guest star Overdrive, Thor Annual Number 1, which will guest star Corruption, Black Cat Annual Number Two, which will guest star White Fox, 
Avengers Annual guest starring Classified, whoever that is. Um, Miles Morales Spider-Man Annual number one guest starring Amulet. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Annual number one guest starring Prince of Power. And Amazing Spider-Man Annual number two guest starring Star. That was a mouthful. <laughs> um, and I think that those are all supposed to be new characters. I, that makes sense because I do not recognize any of their names. <laughs> right. <laughs> not even one. Yeah, it's just I don't even I don't know anything about any of that. Um, the idea that they have a classified name of a character that we wouldn't have recognized anyway is kind of hilarious. <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> so, yeah, sorry, who's the art on this? Uh, um, the black hat. Uh, yeah, yeah, on the uh, the image that Games Radar has. Oh, that's uh, Pepe Larras. If you're talking uh, about the cover, I I'm talking about the the pages. Oh, like for uh, the ones further down. It looks it looks like Chris Anka. I could see that. Yeah, I'm not sure who it is. Doesn't say. Yeah. Are we just gonna gloss over the fact that we have in the same summer? Infinite Frontier and Infinite Destinies. I don't know, man. Wait, what do you want? <laughs> like, <laughs> what do you like, want? Yeah, to pick gonna... new words to use? <laughs> yeah, we're gonna gloss over it because what the fuck else are you gonna do? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> well, both companies do have a relationship with the word infinite, uh, so <laughs> it was bound to happen eventually, right? Yeah. That's so, horrible. would you guys rather sure, have Infinite uh, Destinies or be on an Infinite Frontier? <laughs> Uh, I would rather have. I'd rather yeah. be on an infinite frontier. I guess, I guess. infinite destinies. <laughs> I don't know what that that means. Like nothing. Like when yeah, you think about know. that, you have an infinite number of destinies. Like okay, like isn't that just being yeah. alive? Do I have yeah, to if pick you don't one? Believe in, <laughs> if you don't believe in like predetermined, like you know, life or whatever, then like everything's in, in an infinite destiny. I guess right. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. So, this is odd. Yeah. <laughs> it's odd. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a it's a very weird thing that they're discussing here. Um, the idea of Black Cat kind of being the driver of an event or the centerpiece of an event is a little bit off, just because of sh- the fact that she's not like a like an A level character. Um, but beyond that. I don't know. I, I I guess maybe I'm just getting older, but I'm really run ragged by Marvel's like constant, random, weird, irrelevant events. Like, mm-hmm. just yep. please cut it out. Welcome to the club. <laughs> <laughs> Have events, but make them matter. Like, yeah. tie them into the the you know the monthly books. You know, make it something organic that spins out of what we're you know what we're reading on a week to week basis. Like. Sean wants WrestleMania, not Great Balls of Fire. <laughs> when you yeah. when you said that, um, they're like, yo, like just I'm tired of these endless summer events. I was like, oh shit. <laughs> I get it though, man. Yeah, it's because it's like you know, the black hat element, like notwithstanding, right? Like obviously there was that there's that ongoing that's been popular or whatever. They want to put her over, fine, whatever. But it's like, is this tell me that anything about this is gonna matter. There's, right? Yeah, like even but even the ongoing like 
there's got to be a better way to do this. Like, right, exactly. Like, there's got to be another <laughs> way to put her over in an event if you want to try to, like, push that book or push her as a character or, or whatever that isn't, like, this week on Black Cat, she steals the Infinity Stones. It's like, really? She's a street-level <laughs> character, like, barely below Daredevil. Like, what... Why would what scenario would she even begin to be in the same even the same thought as the Infinity Gauntlet? I mean, like, don't like get me wrong, Spider-Man, she's a great thief. Spider Man <laughs> barely belongs there. Yeah, but he is an A lister, whatever. Like, you can see a world where, like, but, that's what most... I'm saying. Even yeah. he, as an A lister, barely belongs there. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Sean's fatigue joining us in this fatigue corner is reminiscent of the meme of Dr. Manhattan on Mars thinking I'm tired of these earthly frequent events that don't mean anything. It is it is February 27th, 2022. <laughs> I'm preparing to read another Marvel event. <laughs> so Infinite Destinies was actually solicited uh, last year as we talked about mm-hmm. um, and I kind of remember this. I believe at the time it appeared as though these were going to be like mashup characters. Um, oh, yeah. I remember that. Yeah. So I could be wrong, uh, but I think that's what it was. And then it, I'm looking at an image from that time, and it says uh, Captain America Annual Number 1 guest starring over time. So I'm not sure if the Games Radar article got it wrong or if they changed the name because in the Games Radar article it says Captain America Annual Number One guest starring Overdrive. Mm. So, yeah, honestly, it, it, what this really feels like to me is a new way of trying to get a bunch of new characters over. Uh, it's been a while, I suppose, since Marvel's really. Um, tried to introduce a bunch of new characters at once at this point you know was that you know uh miles morales uh you know ms marvel class of characters yeah like 2014 so, 2015 they so had like perhaps, that whole era of young avengers yeah so perhaps this is their attempt to do something new and to try to get a bunch of new characters over pete when do you think miles morales was created <laughs> well he was older right because what that's 2000 death of spider-man was 2011 I think, but I guess to Pete's point, there was a conscientious effort around then to bring Mark for like a Rose few years, yeah, to the six sixteen. Because because what a, Kamala was character what, or whatever two or three years later than that, right? Uh, so Miles was created or at least first appeared in twenty eleven. Okay, and then uh, Kamala Khan was twenty thirteen. Okay, yeah, that's that's what I was thinking, roughly. I want to say it was around 2014 or 2015 where Marvel was really pushing like a whole con- like consortium of characters, even if they, you know, were maybe a couple of years old. I'm like, I feel like there was an effort, of, like this is our new class of heroes. Cause that was when, what's the his name was Hulk too. Amadeus too. Yeah. 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 So this, like I said, perhaps this is their attempt to, make their new set of characters whatever sure. they'll be because like those characters are all kind of like established now or or like they've been brushed to the side you know they've yeah they've already done their trial of error some have landed some haven't etc 
their trial I don't feel of error. <laughs> their infinite uh, trials of errors. <laughs> I don't feel like this. If if you're right, I don't feel like that strategy is effective. Yeah. Um, I think that the reason why they were able to get those characters over to where they're still relevant in terms of the comics and whatnot is because it felt more organic. You're talking about, yeah. you know, a two year gap between miles and Kamala. They weren't created in the same space. They weren't created by the same people. So it feels like, you know, something organic yeah. uh, and that time period that you're referencing where they were like trying to get all these different characters over, they weren't new characters. You know, Amadeus chose not a new character. Mm. He was just, in a new environment and a new situation, you know, sure. um, Sam Wilson is certainly not a new character, but him as yeah. Captain America was novel at the time. Yeah. Um, you can't like, you look at DC's attempt to introduce a bunch of new characters after, uh, I want to say it was after dark Knights metal original. Yes. Um, with like the character damage and all these different people, yeah. you know? Oh yeah. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Only one of them really got over, and I don't know where he is now. That dude who looked like Spider-Man, name. right? Yeah. 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 Side- Both sideways, like I think. Yeah. Sideways. And he didn't really – I mean, where is he now, ultimately? Yeah. Exactly. So uh, I feel like this is similar. If this is new characters, you got to you, you know, you gotta space it out. You got to give them their, their spotlight. They need their own book. Certainly. Well, yeah. they won't sell that way. You're also correct. Yeah. I think that's well, – yeah. Because, like, what was Kamala Khan's first appearance before she had her own book? Was it just her own book? Wasn't she in? No, it was, uh, I want to say it was Captain, it was in a Captain Marvel. Yeah, okay. I think so, too. It's a soft launch kind of thing. Because that's the thing, right, too? Like, you think of those characters, like, like, Spider-Man, like, Miles Morales took over Ultimate Spider-Man, which was a a best-selling book, you know? Like, that... That gives you heat right away. <laughs> well, listen, if you have the name of a marquee, you can put it on, you know, you can sell a Spider-Man book without Peter Parker. Right. That's what we've learned. But if These you're going to create randoms. a bunch of new characters that aren't legacy characters, you have to find new ways of trying to get them over. So in Marvel's mind, let's put all these guys in a, an event. Now, <laughs> the question is, can you sell an event with a bunch of people who aren't established? And Black Cat as the marquee character. Now that's like, the odd part, right? She's not super over or whatever. Like you would yeah. think, like, oh, this would have Captain America or Iron Man or, or Spider Man. Any of these? Well, they do. But as like the flagship person on the sell the event, I don't that's know. true though. Yeah, because all like, the all all the annuals star the mainline superhero you would expect. Plus, and then so yeah, that's the that's the that's the game, right? Yeah. You buy this book, you'll get this new character that they're going to try to put over. And, you know, if they honestly, if they can get one of these set of new characters in a place where that they're now part of like the established canon or whatever, like going forward, that's probably a success. I mean, that's the thing, right? Is like you don't need every one of them to hit, you know, like it, it is like about finding the next Miles Morales or the next Kamala Khan, you know, and like not every character is going to get over. But to your point, if one does and that becomes a character, you can build a fucking media franchise around like. Yeah, exactly. That's it. You know. I don't remember any of their names at the top of my head, but if you can get 
uh, violet iguana over, you're good. Was it, one of them was like White Fox, I think. White Silver Fox. Fox. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's kind of a cool name, sure, whatever. Like, <laughs> Redacted. I think Redacted is going to be the character that really gets over. <laughs> There's heat there, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let me get a Redacted t-shirt, you know? That sounds like a really bad punk band. <laughs> so... I wanna I wanna shift gears over to DC Comics, and speaking of announcements, I wanna make sure we cover the announcement about the creative teams behind uh, Static, Icon, and Rocket, and Hardware. Uh, I think it was last week, but it could have been a week before. We talked about the milestone uh, return and how we were kind of frustrated by the announcement and the way it was being launched, and specifically the lack of creative teams announced for anything other than the Milestone Return Zero Edition. <laughs> Bless, Bless you. Thank you. Which actually uh, has already dropped. It just dropped. Um, but now we know... Wait, I'm sorry. What just dropped? The Milestone Returns Zero Edition. It, okay, it came out cool. digitally uh, yesterday. Um, and, but we now know who the creative teams are going to be on these books. So on static, which they're calling static season one, which I like a lot. I like that. Yes. <laughs> Marvel had a line like that. They did like a bunch of season one books. The season one books were graphic novels that were yeah. the origin story. Yeah. Um, so this one is by Vita Ayala and Nicholas Draper Ivy. That's a pickup. Yep. Uh, Chris Cross is going to be doing the layouts. Ivy will do the actual uh, images. And then Carrie Randolph um, doing covers for this six-issue season one. That's that's awesome. That is really cool. Yeah. the That's what I'm talking about. That makes me feel so much better about this. Because, like, we talked all about how, like, you know, it didn't feel like the right way to try to get Milestone over. It felt like you're not really giving it a chance. And the idea that, like, they're saying up front, this is season one, that we're going to commit to another arc at least, is like, all right, yeah. Like, let's is, give it a is, go. Is it a commitment to another arc? I don't know about that. You yeah. don't think? Yeah, I, I would say it's a commitment to a finite story. Yes. Sure, but why, call, have... why call it season one if you don't? I'm sure they want to do a season two. Doesn't sure. mean that it's commiserate with doing a season two. I mean, yeah, if it flops, I guess. But I don't know. Like, to me, that expresses intent. I think, like, right. you could easily come out and call it static whatever, right? And then if it's successful and you want to put out a sequel, season two. You so, know? I, think it, I think it teases intent in the way that, like, yeah, we'll give you a season two, but you got to want it. Show up and buy it. Yeah. I'm not... Yeah, I'm not sure those Marvel ones, for instance, had a ton of season twos. I think a couple of them did. They, they that wasn't even really the point of them, you know. They, they um, and those were also trades. They were they were trades straight up, not yeah. uh, issues. So the differences, but um, the point and why this this announcement is so exciting is because Vita Ayala is is hot. You know, that's a that's, that's a that's a hot creator. Um, who's on fire right now, uh, 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 a minority creator at that, who's going to be able to bring some realism to it, who's going to be able to bring some, you know, of their, of their real-life experience to it. Um, and then Nicholas Draper-Ivy being a part of it is huge because 
as you guys can tell, they're super talented. Uh, their art is phenomenal. And that type of art style will resonate with a market that comics has not really tapped into, which is anime nerds. Yeah. Uh, fans of anime will undoubtedly like Nicholas Draper Ivy's art style. Static is a young character that also can appeal to anime fans. This book is being released digitally first, and a lot of anime fans are used to that style because they 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 have their subscription or however they get their books. A lot of them get them uh, digitally uh, when the new chapter drops. I just think and 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 by the way, he's a uh, sorry. They are a new hot artist it, what's more exciting than a new super talented artist on a on a hot book i think this is a perfect marriage yeah yeah this this has me feeling a lot more positive about it and like i was i was gonna buy the book either way just because i i like static and i want to see static get over um but this feels like like significant you know yeah like it really could have a shot yeah so that's gonna debut uh digitally april 11th I know, right? Well, yeah. Because, like, is it, what's the next? Is that the next release for Milestone? Uh, yes. Well, I put I out the zero so. now. Then put it out a little closer. I'm about to go buy it right now, and then I'm gonna have to wait like two months before I can read more. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, next up is Icon and Rocket for and, and the creative team. There's gonna be uh, Reginald Hudlin and Leon Chills. They'll be they'll be uh, writing it. Uh, Tarin Clark will be doing the covers, and then Doug Braithwaite will be doing the interiors. We just spoke about him uh, for uh, ENIAC. Um, and that's going to be coming out June 27th digitally. A half a year. And Hoodland's been around forever. Yes. So. Yep. so you said Static's in April, and then this is June? Mm-hmm. So I wonder if that's the – is that the strategy here is one at a time? Because what, it, that'll be six weeks of static and then this starts? Right, and then the next one uh, is uh, is hardware, uh, which will drop August 15th. The creative team there mm. is going to be uh, Dennis Cohen, which is pretty cool. He's one of the, uh, the original Milestone guys. Um, he's going to team up with Bill Sienkiewicz. Um, Brandon Thomas is going to be writing the book. And then the two that I mentioned before will be doing the art. So that sounds good. Hardware was kind of like the other really like standout character, right? Like, wasn't he pretty popular? Like of the milestone group? I I wouldn't know. Okay. I feel like I remember Marco saying that when we talked about it the first time that like, that was a character he he had heard a lot about or something like that. I've never heard of him before. Like us bringing it up again this year. I think they're putting a lot on faith that people care about Milestone as a thing. Sure. Uh, I think a lot of people care about Static. I think Static has a loyal fan base and people that, you know, have never even sniffed a comic book that know and love Static. And if you could appeal to those people, this could be a book that has uh, crossover potential. And I don't know that they're. I th- I feel like they're they're kind of like um, what's that phrase? Putting the cart before the horse. Yeah. Uh, get static over, and then build it out 
feels more of a of a strategy to me. I agree. Yeah, sell me on the one book, and this is something that Marvel does wrong all the time. Uh, Shang Chi, right? The Shang Chi book by uh, Gene Yang. Yang, right? Seems to be a good book, selling se- selling nice. They just announced two more Shang Chi books. Mistake. Oh boy! Didn't you learn your lesson with Black Panther? You got to wait till the movie comes out before you can put out six books about some one character. <laughs> right. And to be fair to them, the movie should have been out already. But your point yeah. still stands. It's not out. No. And he's not a global brand. Nobody so, cares like, about him yet. Pause, right? You know? Um, But either way, I just wanted to make sure we got this in. It's exciting. I'm here for it. I'm ready for the static book, at Uh, least. The other ones I can't speak for. Static, I'm here for. Yeah. I'm nervous, though. I feel like DC always will prop up, like, an imprint in the beginning and just give up. Like, this has happened with Wildstorm. This has happened with Vertigo. This happened with, uh, 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 what was the uh black something <laughs> black label black label no it didn't how it happened with black uh, label young animal young animal young animal so, also didn't have that happen young animal was super successful and then gerard way paused it to go walk away and work on umbrella academy it's not okay. what happened they supported that imprint really well so maybe they will i feel like i feel like they have a bad track record though with with propping up imprints i think the only one that i would uh give you is DCU. Well, they definitely more gave up moment. on Wildstorm. Oh, okay. Sure. Uh, well, I bought it, so I did my part. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I'll, 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 do my, I'll do my part when, when Static comes out in person and I can physically get the cover. It's legit. I'll buy it digitally until then to make sure it happens. <laughs> yeah, hold on the fort for now. Uh, so yeah, we'll we'll see. All remains to be seen. I think Phil, your your uh, fears, your trepidation is well founded. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that has more to do, frankly, with just you know the temperature of the community than anything else. Like I think DC will sell you whatever you want, hmm. but whether or not yeah. people are ready to buy it is a different matter. And I, I think, like you said, it, it really, it, I think it has to come from Static. Like, you introduce him, get him over, and then, like, introduce these other characters, like, through his book, you know? Have a team-up, crossover kind of thing, and then the next month there's a number one for those other characters, you know? Yeah. Like, that would be an easy, easy way for for me, anyway, to, like, get familiarized with them and think, like, yeah, why don't I check that out, too? Absolutely. I would I would treat Static like a new character. I agree. And and like and push it as hard as you fucking can. And I'm like and also like you know, and this like Marco's I think always the one banging the drum more than anybody, right? Like leverage the fucking juice that you have with the cartoon. You know, like people fucking like I loved that show as a kid. It was like one of the best shows on every Saturday. Like that shit rules. Like like the fact that now there's a huge generation of people our age, a little bit older, a little bit younger that have that attachment to him, like sell it, you know, like I'll show up to, to Pete's point. Another, or I guess rather to Sean's point, a good and important reason to treat static, like a new character is there's a whole generation of people who don't know who static shock is. They're under like, yeah. 24 years old, 25, 26, that ballpark, you know, this is, this should be a, really good opportunity to introduce that character to a whole generation of people that don't have that relationship that Pete just outlined. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like, dude, like 
like he's cool as fuck. You know, he's got a, he's got cool powers. The world is really cool. He's got a good sidekick. Like he's got this really easy way to like. I mean, there's a bunch of already existing cool villains with cool powers, but also you can add as many new characters as you want through the whole Bang Baby thing. Like it's just a good fucking elevator pitch for a solid teenage superhero story. You know, if 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 Draper Ivy can can ride this wave of momentum they're going to be a superstar in this industry no doubt about it no doubt about it and this is a great vehicle and i love to see this i love to see it because that's a person who's been on my radar for almost a decade used to sit at mcdonald's and draw all day um one of my friends is friends with them and so that's like i'm that's how i know them like this person has been drawing forever and now they're getting their shot. It's really cool. It's a big show. <laughs> yeah. I just, I really hope it comes together, man. I really do. So much love for that IP. Yeah. Speaking of IPs that people love, let's talk about Fortnite for the first time ever on this podcast. <laughs> so Fortnite, obviously one of the biggest things going in, in video world. games. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, just had a, a promotion with um, DeLorean. Sorry, the Mandalorian. That I think that did just happen. Yeah, we're, it was Marvel before that, that, and then I think it went into <laughs> right. Mandalorian, and then there was Walking Dead as, as well. And and then didn't uh, didn't Travis Scott perform in the video game? Yep. Oh, yeah. And I think the Tenet trailer debuted in the video game or something like that. One of the like one of the episode nine right. trailers yep. also did that. Weezer debuted an album in Fortnite. Like it's the it's wild, fucking ridiculous. Right. So Fortnite is like a a whole beast of its own, and now uh, DC's getting in on the action because they're going to team up with Fortnite uh, to produce Batman Fortnite. Zero point. <laughs> I'm surprised uh, this is happening now. Because ba- Batman's already in Fortnite. Yeah, but this is a comic book. Yeah, yeah. I guess I'm just surprised it didn't happen earlier. Uh, you know, who knows, right? Like, it could have been pandemic-related. It sure. could, you know, like, it could have been, you know. Um, it could have been <laughs> because of their partnership in comics with Marvel. That they probably you know, they did a lot find of... Him. Probably had to find a creator that wasn't a geriatric and knows what Fortnite is. <laughs> the fuck's a Fortnite? <laughs> so yeah, they're they're partnering with Epic Games to make this. Christos Gage is going to be the writer on it, and then uh, Chief Creative Officer for Epic Donald Mustard will be the story consultant. And I guess he came up with the concept here. Um, the concept being that a uh, reality tears open in Gotham and pulls specifically Batman into the world of Fortnite and he doesn't know who he is so he has to figure out who he is while also dealing with the craziness of the Fortnite world uh, they're, they're gonna make one of the villains do the floss dance to Batman or something <laughs> Uh, and and this is you know this is a part of our block of DC news because we're gonna be talking about DC the rest of the way forward, and just kind of evaluating because we're getting a better idea of where DC is trying to go 
and with the news we just talked about regarding static and milestone and how that's a digital first initiative and stuff like that, you know, try to pay attention to these, these news articles that we're, that we're dealing with, because uh, you, you are getting a better idea of what DC is doing and how committed they actually are to digital first. So here with Fortnite. Uh, they're doing something super, super cool. Um, so first of all, the way they're going to do this is the print issues of, of, of this zero point uh, miniseries will have a code that allows you to unlock Fortnite items in the game. Oh, that is smart. So the first issue is going to let you get a Harley Quinn skin. Uh, if you redeem all the codes, you'll be able to unlock um, a, a special Batman armor that seems to be new, a new armor altogether. Um, and then if you have their comic service, the DC Universe Infinite, you'll get uh, the entire series and the digital codes for free. That's smart. Uh, that's very smart. Yeah. <laughs> this might sell the million copies that Marvel <laughs> keeps trying to... Actually, yeah. No joke. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is smart, right? Like, I think this is a thing. This is a, my attitude about Fortnite in general. It's super easy to be, like, a jaded old person and, like, meme about it and talk shit about young kids and flossing and all this shit. But, like, Fortnite is an institution. It's, like, it's a juggernaut commercially and culturally. Yeah. And it is a thing that young people, like, the generation below us and younger are deeply fucking engaged with so if you are a marvel a dc a whoever it absolutely behooves you to get in bed with epic and fortnite and to have some kind of cross promotion for your brand there because there's a whole whole generation of kids that play fortnite every fucking day that have never read a comic or maybe never seen a Batman movie because there hasn't been a good, relevant Batman movie while they were alive or old enough to see one. Um, no cartoon, like none of that stuff. So this could be an inroad to this character for a lot of people. That's the same reason you're going to see a villain do the floss dance because it's going to be like a bunch of old people at DC, dinosaur entertainment, trying to communicate with the youths. Uh... Yeah, I mean, I, I think you're you're right on the money, Pete, in terms of this being a great opportunity. Um, and obviously, it's probably going to they're going to find a way to include other DC characters as well. Uh, maybe some Batman villains, something like that. I think that this is this is smart on their part. And, you know, they're doing Marvel did it already. DC's getting to it now. You know, why not? It, this is the more cynical side, I, I think. I feel like when I was younger and like a company would try to cross promote with something that was like hot like this, like young people are going to see through it and not be as into it. Like I, that's totally anecdotal, but like, that's what my like own experience says where it's like, dad, I don't care about this. But that's the thing is in the scenario you just described, that person isn't who this targets, right? The person this targets is the person who's already into Fortnite. No, that's not what I'm saying. The other side. I'm saying if I'm the Fortnite player, I see DC trying to do this and I'm like <laughs> See, I don't I don't think it's that but like Fortnite a huge part of it is crossovers, right? Is like mm -hmm. the thing they've been doing the last couple seasons is this is the gimmick this season. 
right? And like last year it was, it's Marvel. So now you can play Fortnite and you play Fortnite every day. And you, but now you can play as Thor. Now okay. you can play as Wolverine. Now, okay. you know, and like that, that is the thing. That is a big part of it now. And like maybe it didn't always used to be, but like the last couple of years, that's been their big push every year is like, what's the fucking thing we're tying in this time that's going to freshen it up, you know? And like, I think to me, um, it, it doesn't feel as forced as some of those things that you're describing or that you can like examples you can drum up because it's organically part of the experience of Fortnite for there to be live events and crossover with other media brands that you know and and maybe some that you don't and you know whatever and like that's just part of the thing like Terminator was in it uh, most recently as well and it's like that doesn't appeal to younger people as much but like it wasn't like the community was like you know no we don't want this it's just oh that's part of the game it's kind of like a real world Ready Player One. <laughs> kind of, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and I think for me, like the idea that you would be like, "Oh, I'm gonna buy this because I play Fortnite and I want these exclusive skins," and then maybe you read it and you like it, and you're like, "Oh, comics are actually interesting." Like, mm-hmm. I, and I, I'm maybe that's one percent, maybe that's five percent of the people that buy this or whatever, and it is more of a gimmick. But like, I don't, I don't think comics should be turning their nose up at opportunities to do that, you know, because all it takes is one good experience with the comic for you to realize that comics are an option for you. Yeah, if they if they convert one percent of their of the people who buy the book, they sold the book, and then they now have one percent of that. That's like I'm into this now. I'm in for the ride. There's there's zero reason. I, if I if I owned Marvel or DC, I'd collaborate with anybody. You know, like who you sure. you got a brand? You want to do something? You got fans? Let's 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 go. Let's how can go. we yeah. how can we make it work? Especially when there's Hostess. authentic excitement around it, like this, like. And this is a huge market that you're probably not connecting with at all. This is my other tired, cynical thought. <laughs> uh, just the rain on the parade. I yeah. I remember growing up whenever Marvel or DC would do a cross-promotion book of some kind, it not oh. being good. <laughs> mm. uh, well, so we didn't really speak to the creative team. Uh, Christos Gage is going to be the writer here. Uh, Christos is definitely talented. Yeah. Um, he's a good hand, yeah. and uh, he he was writing. He wrote Buffy for a while, okay. and that was very very good. Um, he's a writer that I can definitely cite as being quality. Um, and then on the art side, uh, they they mentioned Riley Brown, Kristen Deuce, uh, Nelson DeCastro, and John Calise. Those are not names that I'm familiar with. Pages look good though. Right, exactly. Um, so I, I feel like this is a slam dunk Batman XTMT type of like, yeah. it's not going to knock your socks off, but it's going to be solid, good enough for anyone who doesn't read comics and then also acceptable for someone who does read comics and wants to see this crossover, or just wants to see Batman or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Uh, I'm I'm definitely I'm definitely into this. So let's let's shift gears and let's talk about since we're reminiscing today, uh, let's talk about the year that it's been since Dan Didio left DC. Uh, so February twenty first, twenty twenty, is when all of that unfolded. Uh, all of that with with Dan and um, 
and DC where they ended up giving him the boot. Um, and, you know, we learned a lot since then about why that happened. And I feel like there have been a lot of shots thrown, a lot of shade on the part of DC um, towards him, be it in the books or just in in conversation, and so I wanted to have a, a a dialogue about how DC is different without Dan, um, and then what influence he still appears to have, or what books are still reflecting his influence today. So, quick recap: Dan was fired. Dan Didio was fired, or asked to leave, or however you know, however you want to break it down. Uh, because, according to rumors, he was overbearing, and a lot of the stuff he wanted to do with 5G and generations and all of that was going to put a lot of pressure on the creators to hammer down a strict timeline for everything that's ever happened in DC, to say everything matters, and this is how we're going to explain the way that it makes sense. Uh, From the beginning of time to Wonder Woman being the very first hero, to the aftermath of Dark Knight's death metal, which was originally supposed to see Superman, Wonder Woman, and Batman as old people, ushering in the next generation of heroes. Wonder Woman was not originally supposed to die. She was supposed to just be old, and we would see characters like Yara Flor and um, uh, Tim Fox uh, take over as these characters jonathan kent as superman yada yada um that didn't happen dan didio famously had a big argument with scott snyder that resulted in him kind of being pushed out um i shouldn't say that that way that wasn't the catalyst that was one of the many things that caused him to be pushed out right Mm. um so interestingly John Ridley uh, did an interview. John Ridley, of course, the writer of The Next Batman, did an interview recently with Den of Geek where he talked a little bit about the experience of the creation of The Next Batman. Um, And he said, at first I got these emails that Dan Didio wanted to talk to me. Um, He talks about how they just couldn't get it together. So they finally had a lunch and Dan told them, we want you to write Batman. He said, that would have been tremendously cool in itself, but they said, we want to approach Batman in a different way. We want Batman to be a character of color, but he's going to be Batman. It's not going to be an Elseworlds story. It's not going to be the Dark Knight having his back broken. It's going. To, it's not going to be temporary. Um, he, said, he also says, then there was all these things that happened with what people thought or what was meant to be 5G, and then Dan leaving the company, all these changes, but what was never changed was the desire to have a next generation of heroes, and one of them was going to be Batman, and he was going to be a person of color. Joel Jones tells a similar story about Yada Floor as well. And so I say all this to say that Dan Didio's desire was always to introduce a next generation of heroes. This is something that Jim Lee lied about. Jim Lee said there wasn't ever a desire to push out the old guard. Mm -hmm. But I think through the things we've learned in the year that has followed from creators and things like that, and what DC has actually published, Future State, and all that, he always wanted that. Yeah, clearly. Um, I think it's interesting because if you look at uh, 
if you look at Dark Knight's Death Metal and some of the other books, you can kind of see how they've sh- thrown shade at Dan Didio. Uh, one of the ways that I personally noticed was some tweets from one of the editors at DC who said that the Future State books represented the editors unrestrained. And this was all their vision. This was all what they wanted, the ability to showcase diverse characters um, and a future, a glimpse into the future of DC Comics. But that's what Dan wanted. Are you guys following me here? Yeah, 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 no, I'm with you. Do you want to speak on it, anybody? Oh, or like, sure. I, I wasn't. I wasn't sure if you were done setting the table. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I mean, I think I think it's it's clear that that what you're what you're outlining is you know at least in some part true, right? Because these books exist. Um, they wouldn't otherwise. You know, these weren't like ideas that were half baked and you know thrown at the wall and, and never came to be. They were, you know, this this was a broader initiative that was you know, kneecapped um, and and repurposed and rebranded and, you know, they're trying to kind of um, salvage whatever, you know, nuggets of value there are out of those ideas and, and that work that was already done. But, um, yeah, I don't I don't think you can say it's anything but. And, like, it's, it's not the only course correction we saw in the year since Dan left, right? We saw uh, them change the way that they deliver comics, them disrupt the distribution channel by putting books out a day early, like pushing these digital first initiatives. Like it's been nothing but change since, since Dan left. Yeah. And, and it's, and it's so funny. Cause like it, that's true. But then at the same time, they're still publishing the books that were intended to be published, even if they've changed a little bit. Yeah. Uh, when he was around. Maybe that's a, um, you know, a lot of those books may have, seems like they've already been, they were already, you know, being developed while Didio was still there. Yeah. Uh, if you don't publish them, that's just a lost cost because you probably paid all these people to like write them, illustrate them, letter them, uh, edit them. And it certainly seems like DC is pinching pennies as it is. So like, I mean, what are they going to do? Not put those books out? Not to mention that, like, you have the opportunity, right? That, like, it, it comes out and it's like, oh, yeah, people really like um, uh, Yara, right? Okay, cool. Let's put her in another book. You know, and it's like, it doesn't matter that you're not going to make her the main Wonder Woman or that the original arc that, you know, Joel had planned maybe isn't going to play out or whatever. Like, who gives a shit, right? Like, if the character has heat and people like the character and they like the design, all it takes is for you to put her on a Justice League team or or put her in a, another book or give her a spinoff and what the fuck ever, right? Like, why not roll the dice and be like, oh, is there any interest in any of this? No? Oh, it doesn't matter. It was a side thing. Don't, 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 don't worry about it. It's fine. You know? It's worth noting that, you know, this year since Tadio was pushed out, you know, might really be more of a transition period. So, like, all the things that he was kind of pushing at the end of his tenure, you know, DC's finding ways to either, you know, publish them, repurpose them, what have you. But, you know, maybe something like Infinite Frontier and Beyond is really more negative of what 
DC's real kind of future intents are or whatever. Sure. Because like, you know, Future State was kind of kneecapped, right? For instance, but they still published those books. Well, Future State was the kneecapped. 5G. That's what I'm saying. 5G, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, but but I also think like to your point, if their long-term strategy is this infinite frontier thing where where continuity is kind of broken down, if any of these future state books had been really fucking hot, right? Like, just roll it in, right? Who cares? Okay, cool. Pick it up. Yeah. Um, and to your point, if they don't put them out, it's just sunk costs. Yeah, it was either, you know, lose all that money for labor that you put out or try to make a little bit back. Yeah, break even at least. Uh, maybe not. Maybe they don't go that far, but you know, at least try. Yeah, it's some kind of return. See, I think, I, I, I think the generations books that they're publishing now, the the um, so they just published Generations Forged this week, and it's funny because Dan Didio, one of the things that he used to always say was that everything counts, and trying to find a way to integrate, yeah, um, you know, everything together. He and cared about continuity, right? Exactly. He was one of those people who really, really cared about continuity, um, and. In Generations Forged, they introduce something that's kind of like basically the linear verse. And what that is, is a place where all of the characters in DC never aged. Like everything that's happened to them from the start of their time to now happened, and it's the same exact character in every way that experienced all of that. And wasn't that one of the things that, that they were teasing with 5G? Like, I remember there being that story we talked about where uh, you had shown us it was, like, the new timeline. And it yes. was like, oh, this is the year where Superman debuts. And then here is this major storyline. And it's just, like, it all happened, but we're now kind of... Um, it's like what Marvel used to do with, like, the stretching timeline. But we're just gonna smash it all together and make it make sense it's kind of what they were trying to do with new 52 in some regards to some of their characters certainly green lantern and batman were two examples of that right yeah um and so you know clearly dan has had that in his mind for a long time and you look at and at what they're doing now and it's kind of like wow this is the same shit yeah yeah it, it feels is- like just like a, a slight pivot rather than like a hard pivot because it's like well what if we had our cake and we ate it too <laughs> yeah here's a bunch 100%. of new shit but you can also buy eight books with bruce wayne don't worry about it you know yeah and so i guess i guess for me um the reason why i wanted to talk about this is that dan lidio ha- dan lidio dan Lidio <laughs> has a bit of a a complex legacy um and in the year that has come and gone, we've seen a lot of the the vestiges of his ideas playing out in the books. And some of the ways that I feel DC has chosen to kind of like take shots at him, um, even in uh, in Doomsday Clock, it felt like there were some shots. At it's really him. unprofessional. Um, yeah, it doesn't feel right to, to do things like that. Especially when you're building on the bones of his ideas still. 
Yeah. You know, like, yeah. that's, like, really shitty to be like, oh, fuck that guy, right? We're still going to sell his ideas, but fuck him. Like, <laughs> But really, who the fuck cares about your in-house dramas? Like, no one yeah. wants to see that in the pages. No one gives a shit. It's just, like, it seems petty. Yeah, totally. I think it is, especially when, you know, in my opinion, anyways, DC isn't in any way better than they were at the time especially like editorially no 100 percent not like yeah. they just dumped a bunch of their senior staff over the last yeah. year and this is the kind of thing that's happening now that those people are gone like <laughs> and a lot I, of their senior writers apparently please I mean, yeah we've, we've gotten into that a lot on this podcast um but yeah, just it's been a year since Didio left, and um, personally, I think it's even interesting that uh, Generations Forged mm-hmm. came out the same week that uh, we're celebrating that anniversary. Um, but anyway, we'll move on to something that I'm really interested in in hearing what you guys have to say about which is uh, Phil Jimenez was told by DC during his Superwoman run that the book should appeal to more Trump voters. <laughs> for, for context, uh, sure. this, <laughs> this is a book that came out during the uh, New 52. Uh, I'm sorry, no, uh, during Rebirth. Yes. Uh, in 2016, I want to say. And it basically was that Superman was dead. Um, the New 52 Superman was dead. And Lois and Lana both have powers. So they decide that they're going to team up to become super people in the absence of Superman. And it was pretty notable for the fact that Phil Jimenez is, is a, um, a queer creator of color yeah. who is getting to write... You know, not the super, I mean, kind of the Superman book in the sense that this is the book post Superman. Um, and he's getting to play with all these Superman characters and stuff like that. Well, he had to say this on social this week. Ah, hashtag Superwoman. What a strange adventure you were. I had such high hopes for this project. Plotted out roughly two years worth of stories with Lana and Lois and Steele and Natasha and Tracy and Lex and the rest of the gang. Love triangles and drug abuse and exploration of women, friendship and allyship. And they're intersecting with race and class, sibling rivalry, stolen credit and the cost of revenge, burgeoning LGBTQ love, panic and anxiety reflecting my own experience, memory, loss, grief, and even the weird relationship between Atomic Skull and Bizarres. I love them. And so much more. I even developed a healthy supporting cast of regular folk, including a deaf character, though they never got much play. Alas, my own creative personal issues mixed with behind-the-scenes upheaval slash battles and a huge continuity patch to the Superman universe that rendered my first couple of arcs non-canon before they were even finished, and a note from higher-ups that we needed to appeal to more to Trump voters wiped me out. I know the first issue caused quite a bit of a stir, and I sure wish I could have seen the original story to its inclusion, a common story in my last few years at DC Comics. That said, I never in my life thought I'd ever get to play with Superman or his universe, and it was a great opportunity and a real honor. 
and got to work with some incredibly fabulous artists. Learned so much, even at this age, I keep learning. And I got to write one of my favorite scenes in comics ever when Lana Lang calls Lex Luthor a giant piece of shit. Literally, that little panel made it all worth it. So, I bring this up because, again, we're talking about DC. And uh, this week, there were some things floating around about Jeff Johns being racist in other spaces other than just uh, the Justice League set, allegedly. And the idea that DC should appeal more to Trump voters and that Phil Jimenez's uh, story here with Superwoman got hamstrung. What do you guys make of all that? I mean, I don't... I can't say I'm surprised, right? Like, especially in the context of this being in 2016. Um I think during 2016, right, especially if you're talking about, like, late 2016, right, when when Donald Trump won the election and became the president-elect, like, that, that I think, to a lot of people, right, like, signaled a, a wave was coming, right, that, like, things were going to change over the next couple of years, the media landscape was going to change, like, that it was going to have fallout. So the idea that higher-ups at a company that is – you know, a corporation driven by bottom line uh, to say that, oh, we need to appeal to this emerging uh, demographic or whatever, right? Is That's not surprising to me. Is it gross? Yeah. Does it make my skin crawl? Yeah. Do, am I surprised that they are chasing the almighty dollar? Absolutely not. Um, for what it's worth, I think that most companies of this size think about that. Um, oh, I'm still thinking about that. Yeah, I've, I've commented about that with Disney uh, on this show where I think that they're the best company in the world at selling both to like middle America, the right wing, whatever, and then like, you know, liberal left leaning queer people and, and make both of those gro- groups think that they are pandering to them um, because they're great at playing both sides and, and taking whoever's money wants to give it to them and being like, we represent you and your values. We care about you. They don't care about you. They care about your money. Um, but the idea that they would have that thought and then go to Phil Jimenez, who, like you said, is, is a a gay man of color and be like, you need to make this book more appealing to Trump. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, no, like like, that's, that's insane that you would ask that person to be like, why don't you course correct your book to make it more appealing to people who hate you and everything about you? Not is that cool paint. for you? <laughs> <laughs> is that cool with you? Does that work? <laughs> you good with that? Not to paint too broadly with a nice broad brush, but in my experience, the MAGA crowd is not particularly interested in a book starring women. <laughs> right. Right. And right. Uh, is the MAGA crowd interested in books? <laughs> throw that out there. Definitely <laughs> not if they have themes. That's something that I've noticed is that if the story has any kind of commentary or explores the human condition in any serious way or is interested in engaging on any topic that goes deeper than a thing happened and then another thing happened, they get very upset because I think it's a little hard for them to follow. Or they'll miss the point. Like, you know, you'll love a movie like First Blood where you get Sylvester Stallone blowing a bunch of shit up but not understand it's about PTSD. But it's Or like Fight Club and the fact that like Snowflake has become like, you know, or was anyway, like the go-to insult of 
pissed off right wing people, even though Fight Club is a story written by a gay man, that it's an, a complete indictment of that entire personality archetype. Yeah. yeah. You have to be able um, to be to read, you know, to understand subtext. So I get it. My 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 point being, with all these jabs aside, is that I can't imagine a superwoman book by Phil Jimenez would appeal to the MAGA crowd ever. You know? Right, it just, <laughs> it, it just like even like from an editorial side that where you're more concerned about money or whatever, this seems like so out of touch. Like, what if even, Supergirl's costume got ripped off in this issue? They'll like that. No even words. Even with the cast. Like, yeah, yeah, you, yeah, yeah. This is clearly a yeah. Like you would think to this crowd, they would want a Ronald Reagan flag saluting Superman with the skimpiest outfit Supergirl as like his sidekick. But she like, you know, isn't a strong female character. She gets rescued by Superman, you know, as he's saluting the flag and soaring the sky with a bald eagle. Like that's, what, <laughs> that's, that's the book, not Superwoman by Phil Jimenez. Lois quits her job as an award-winning journalist to stay at home and make pie. More In more ways than one. This is the <laughs> This is the future Trumpers want. <laughs> I, it's it's so I'm the person on the show who says, well, yeah, what's wrong with that? You know, like you should try to, you know, it's a business. You should get as much money as you can, and you know, I totally get that. Um, and to a degree, I stand by that. I think that. Um, not alienating your audience is probably the way to go. But at the same time, uh, appeal to that crowd, right? That's like such a, like how, how, you know, how do you do that? What do you do to do that? What do they like specifically? What are you saying when you say that? Um, I understand it in the context of a show or a comic book that, you know, features like predominantly white characters by a white you know um creator whatever um like i guess i get that i could see how i could see how you could write a superman comic that does not offend anybody yes <laughs> that's like the last 30 years of superman comics and that is I, an indictment i could see how you could do that and i buy that and i'm sure that that's been something that's been kind of thought about I don't really see how you could do that with this particular book. And yeah, I don't understand why you would hire Phil Jimenez to do a book like this, knowing the kind of creator that he is, and then give that type of edict. It reminds me of what happened with um, Kale, you'll know, on Iceman. Um, oh, um, uh, Sign of Grace. Yes, thank you. Uh, what happened with Sign of Grace on Iceman where, you know, he felt as though there were all these roadblocks and, you know, editors not really trying to help him, um, you know, yeah. because he's telling this story about this gay character and he's using his real life experiences and blah, yeah. blah, blah, and it's making people uncomfortable. All of a sudden that's his problem. Why yeah. hire me? Like, I don't, I don't get that, yeah. you know? Yeah. It's like, don't hire a gay man to write a story about a gay man and be like, whoa, make it less gay. Like yeah. it's like what like what the fuck are we doing? Like why did you even make this book? Like wait, wait till it, DC editorial says to uh, 
to the static created team. Hey, can you appeal to QAnon people, please? I mean, like, but again, right? Like, you look at this and, like, li- listen to, like, what Phil said, right? I had two years of stories with Lana and Lois and Steel. And I don't know who Natasha and Tracy are, right? Take them out. They're organic characters to that book. Cool. The three organic, organic characters to Steel. The three characters that he name dropped first are two women and a black man. Is that the book that's going to appeal to a MAGA voter? I don't think so. Like, no. Like, just fucking leave it alone. Yeah, the whole the whole thing would be like that. That demographic of people would be complaining about the book being PC and cultural Marxism and forced diversity and all those things that you always hear from that crowd of people. What if we just did queer eye, but with like a bunch of straight guys instead? You know, I feel like that would be like less offensive, though, right? Straight eye for the straight guy. Fucking people are so dumb it makes me upset (laughs) like just looking at it through the lens that sean applied before right like this isn't even you're not even doing a good job of the thing that you're trying to achieve and it's and it's so frustrating because dc you know and, and, and it's like it's just it's 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 dc again not knowing what the hell they want like yeah like they don't know how to read the room. They just don't. <laughs> the rebirth well, era. Go ahead, Kale. Well, I was going to say, well, this is in the rebirth area when it seemed like they did. Like it was at the height of what they were trying to do. Like everybody liked what they were doing. And who <clears throat> was in charge of the rebirth era? Jeff Dude. Johns. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Took a stab. <laughs> that was his. That was his initiative, right? Yeah. Yeah, and you know his whole thing for a while was like he, you know, support, supposedly wasn't super crazy about the new Fifty Two. Uh, he likes meat and potato comics that go back through like the Bronze Age of comics in particular. Uh, this was an attempt to return that. Everyone was complaining about you know diversity in comics around this time people were complaining about you know characters that no one cares about all this stuff and granted rebirth had some cool stuff in it but this lines up with the whole jeff johns thing a little yeah well so sean brought this up um and i'll i'll continue it because i'm i'm sort of interested in the connection i don't know if it's true um allegedly um, on the the new Superman show, uh, what is it, Superman Lois, whatever, on the yeah, CW. Yeah, 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 yeah. In November, uh, a writer was uh, let go, fired, I guess, uh, alleging that um, they didn't like her ideas. Uh, and while she didn't go into great detail on another uh in another tweet she said that she worked with jeff johns on krypton and said she had to explain what what things were black and what things weren't he was she had to defend what was black what was what was black enough or what was yeah something it's the inverse of what i think you just said kale oh okay sorry it's 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 the same it's like yeah. the, the same concept uh, uh she said she, so in this article that was written uh, uh i think it was by her uh what was said was 
uh, her, she had to spend her time in the writer's room uh, of, of Superman uh, pulling, uh, putting more diverse characters in and ex- trying to explain why you can't just have people of color as villains. And then also trying to get them to understand the concept of the Bechdel tests and yes. making sure that, you know, the show passed that marker as well. They so had that, women the, that were characters. So <laughs> the, the point I'm trying to get here is if this is if, – if allegedly, if this is true and 2016 Rebirth is Jeff John's pet project, and I'm not saying this is what happened, but say he – it's he that approaches Phil Jimenez sure. to make this book appeal to uh, Trump voters. What are all these characters going to be? Is Steel going to be a villain now? Do we have to bring Superman into the Superwoman book so they have something to talk about? <laughs> well... To Phil's point, though, Phil Jimenez's point, they they brought him back. Yeah, like yeah they they, they, they swore yeah. they changed all the continuity around so that the the story no longer made any sense. Um, it's just it's just it's just silly and ridiculous. And the more we learn about Jeff Johns, the more. I'm kind of just like done with the guy, dude. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's disappointing. I probably buy Geiger because it's you know because it's Geiger because <laughs> it's a bit on this show. <laughs> Man, I, don't um, I, I don't know what to make of him. At the, I mean, I know yeah. I know what to I think I know what to make of him, but even even Doomsday Clock, like now I'm reevaluating Doomsday Clock, and it's like I thought that this book was supposed to be kind of a condemnation of where we found ourselves in the Trump era. But maybe it wasn't. I don't know. Maybe, yeah, maybe we were bringing things to the book that weren't intended, but, you know. Yeah, I don't know. So, so, something I was trying to wrestle with in my head is where, where were, what was the barometer of Trump supporters in 2016? I had to kind of take myself back because even, even when Trump was in the process of campaigning and stuff, there were, there we, we had a lot of people that were painting his campaign with the, the brush of, you know, him being bigoted and stuff. Right. And I personally, you know, I find that to be correctly. So, but yeah, there was a lot of pushback, I think still at that time where people were saying, well, like, well, that's not really, even though he's saying all that's these true. racist things, yeah, that's not actually what he represents. So my, my one thing I wonder is when when management when editorial goes to Phil Jimenez and says we want the support of uh, Trump supporters, how much of the baggage that we associate with that phrase now existed then? And and I think the I think that's a good point because I think the baggage existed, but there was not proof of it. There was, right? but not everyone acknowledged the proof, and, and it wasn't as concrete. Yeah. Right. Like it was yeah. more like he said this untoward thing or he like tweeted this thing that you can, you know, look at and say this is fucking racist. But like it wasn't 
a few months ago, his supporters stormed the Capitol. Yes. Right? Like, that. that's a... There's a fucking valley of difference between those... Cause worlds. and effect. In, yeah. In, 20, in 2016, it was, we need to appeal to the Duck Dynasty crowd a little bit more. Can you, you know, throw a little sure. camouflage on Super One <laughs> instead of... Instead of a straight confederate flag yeah like that's a weirdly good analogy <laughs> um because i because i i do think that 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 was different right like i think if you were somebody in 2016 when he was the president-elect being like this is going to lead to violence people looked at that and were like mm, like you're probably yeah. exaggerating like you're you know it's not gonna be uh uh he's not gonna be a fascist state or anything like that and then motherfuckers are getting pulled into vans and like you know whatever so yeah it escalated quickly because even when he Wait, was... why are we talking about this yeah well we're, we're talking about like the connotation that's ultimately what we're getting at is like when when management the context of 2016 yeah versus, versus now. now yeah but get but get us home phil please yeah, that's just that's that's really my point. Is obviously someone like Phil Jimenez and someone like me would, would you know you say that to someone in t- late 2016, you think all the, the most negative things. I'm saying perhaps editorial didn't intend those really negative connotations when they said something like that. Maybe to them they thought you know appeal to the red the, you know the red conservative crowd with you know. Uh, family values and states rights mumbo jumbo absolutely yeah i i definitely agree with that um i just i guess my my question is like but but what you know how do you how do you show that in (laughs) this particular book oh i don't disagree yeah what does that note mean (laughs) i i don't know i mean in the book I, i read the first issue um and in the book lana's presented as like this farm girl tough as nails which i didn't know was a part of her character but um i'm I'm also not like caught up on lana lang like that (laughs) uh so yeah but um in any event that's that's unfortunate it seems as though phil jimenez's time with dc was not great towards the end yeah um and that sucks God, I wish I could be a fly on the wall in their offices. I mean, no one's there right now, but you know, throughout the years, we could break in. Not gonna do that. <laughs> Don't live in Cali. Not trying to get arrested by <laughs> California police. Um, Shit. You uh, could break in. <laughs> yeah, you could. You could go right ahead. Phil, you want to go? <laughs> you might actually be able to walk all the way through the doors. You might be able to see Jeff. They'll Jones. wave me right in, right? Yeah. <laughs> they, might, they might think we work there. Yeah, please. Oh boy. Um anyway, we're going to get into the last uh news item here. It's going to close the show, which is about the Superman movie reboot coming from JJ Abrams and Bad Robot to be written by Ta-Nehisi Coates and could potentially star a black Man, there goes the Trump voters. Now, this is obviously monumental for a few reasons. Uh, first of all, Michael B. Jordan was rumored to have been working on a on a Superman thing uh, a while back, and I remember that as a conversation that was taking place. 
And then it kind of died off. And now, you know, we're hearing about it again. So um, this is not there's not like a bunch of news items like facts to present alongside this. Um, we know for a fact that Coates is 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 writing this, and we know that JJ Abrams is involved through Bad Robot, who has a partnership with Warner slash DC that's been established. Um, this would be the first project to come out of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't have any type of director. We don't know who would be sitting in that chair. Um, I think JJ Abrams is is likely for the job. Um, I know that he has wanted to make a Superman movie for some time, so that means he probably has something to say, and he is J.J. Abrams, so his name attached as director definitely puts butts in seats. So, only speaking about that element, right, the J.J. Abrams element and the Ta-Nehisi Coates element, divorced of the black Superman part, what do you guys think? Uh, my initial reaction to this was positive. Uh, I made this point when the uh, the J.J. Abrams Bad Robot DC uh, partnership was initially announced and we discussed it on the show where um, I, I, I'm I not a fan of J.J. Abrams as a director, um, but I think he's been involved in a lot of good projects. And like I think as a producer, I actually see that as being uh, a place where, where I think he actually has the potential to do a lot of good um, because he cares about this kind of like you said like he wants to make a superman movie has wanted to the idea of him championing a superman movie um that he's maybe not creatively involved in but is there to be like you know oh this director and like work with casting and all those kinds of things like those are areas where um i think he's he's been a proven success you know so that i think if he is the guy behind the director's chair i have a lot more trepidation um aside from that i think his his involvement at, at a producer's level could be okay with uh Ta-Nehisi Coates that is the thing that's like yeah right like great writer proven track record um we actually wanted i wanted to shout out we did the book club on uh, Black Panther Nation under our feet in February 2018 a while back um oh, yeah right way earlier and then um he also did uh the Captain America run you know so like the guy's got chops. He's got history in comics. He's a celebrated writer. Um, his involvement gives gives me hope that it could materialize into something that feels significant and that has a vision from somebody who, like, you know, quote-unquote, gets it, gets superheroes enough to tell the story right and not be, you know... Um, a Zack Snyder who wants to try to like reinvent the wheel for a new generation or something like that. Right. I think we need the opposite of that with Superman. I think we need something that connects to the core of the character and that isn't afraid to maybe be like, you know, um, a little like quote unquote old fashioned, any of those kinds of things. Like you want somebody that like has some kind of reverence for that stuff and can do it in a way that feels fresh and, and modern, you know, um, because I think that's what the MCU tapped into, you know, like the MCU is, it's hopeful, it's light, it feels present, you know, and that's why people have connected with it. And I think Superman is such a ripe character for that. And especially in, in the times we live in now when things are, you know, like pretty dark. 
Well, uh, a couple things. For one, yeah, I mean, uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates is not just proven in like comic circles, but like he's a, a very artist. established author. He's won multiple awards for his uh, novels and his nonfiction work. Like he's he's very well respected in multiple yeah. circles, so to speak. Second thing is. I know Sean asked us to divorce the news from the idea of a black Superman, but like, if I choose... really, really want you to do that. Okay. We'll come back to it. I, I was going to respond to what Pete said with that in mind, but answering your question specifically first, Sean, uh, it, it's tough. So the problem with film writers is their scripts often get changed a lot, yeah. a lot. And so even if he writes an incredible screenplay, which very clearly based on his pedigree and his resume, I have no doubt that he can do something like that. You know, that it's a, it's a Warner brothers movie. They can mangle that thing. It's true. (laughs) They can straight mangle it. Uh, And then JJ Abrams, I really don't like anything he does. So him involved is a huge red flag for me. So. Uh, yeah, I'm really excited about Tony Coates for all the reasons you guys listed. I think he uh, he he's a great choice for another viewpoint on Superman in the same way that um, was it Gene Luen Yang that did uh, Superman versus the Clan? Smash yeah, the Clan. Yeah, that was great. Um, in, in that same way, I think it uh, uh, he works great as an as someone with another viewpoint. Um, I think I want to another try on jj abrams i think i liked the force awakens Mm. but i i think i liked it because what i wanted to give it credit for was bringing star wars back sure and so my thing was well yeah of course it echoes a new hope that's the era we're trying to bring back sure um the Skywalker, the Skywalker one wasn't good, but I don't know that I lay that at his feet completely. Um, and, and I like the stuff he's done previously, I think. So I think I would like to give J.J. Abrams another try. That's an interesting Which, point, uh, the idea of him like being good at synthesizing a thing. Like, if he just apes 1978 Superman, like, that could be good. <laughs> well, like, I would I mean, hate to see that. Oh, my God. <laughs> that, uh, didn't he do that film uh, Super 8? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so, a- a- aping the filmography of Steven Spielberg. Yeah. But, like, in that in that way that Pete sort of described, it, it, it was a, a, a synthesized thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you guys are absolutely on point. That's what he does. I think he's very adept at that. Um, My feeling is that uh, when it comes to J.J. Abrams, I can't really think of a. I I can't think of a movie he's done that I that I liked. Yeah, Force Awakens. I enjoyed in the moment of Mm. it, but then pretty quickly afterwards was like, okay, wow, uh, I want something. Yeah, and then Rise of Skywalker, in my opinion, is straight bad. Mm-hmm. And um, do you like the Star Trek movies? I don't like those movies. Me either. Uh, Never seen them. They're, 
Yeah, I like yeah. the first one. I fell asleep during the first one, and then the second one I was super, super excited for, and then I just don't think it delivered. Um, mm-hmm. But go ahead. I just one more uh, Mission Impossible three. I don't know if you like those movies. I've actually never seen those. <laughs> yeah, I can't say I've seen it. Okay. I'm a huge fan of Lost, but J.J. Abrams was only the person with the vision. Yeah. He wasn't the person who executed that. So um, I don't want him to direct the movie yeah. because of those reasons. Yeah. But I don't think that that means if he directs it, it will. It has to be bad. Uh, I think it could be good. Um, <laughs> I hate myself now. Um, I'm more interested in the Ta-Nehisi Coates part. Hmm. And that's because one of the things that you know, one of the things that has always been a problem for me uh, and sort of sad is that for my whole life, I've always believed that if you're a black creator, you have to tell black stories that, you know, there are certain avenues and lanes that are cut off for you. If you're a black creator, who's the most famous black director of all time? The person that comes to mind for me is Spike Lee. Yeah, And Spike Lee, I don't know if it's his choice or what, but it feels like he makes very specific kinds of movies that are not superhero movies or anything like that. Uh, And that sucks. You know, a lot of black creators, they make stories that it's like, this is what you expect from them. This is the, this is the lane. That's why I was so excited for me. It was so exciting for me when Coates got to write Captain America because here's one of my favorite characters getting to be written by a guy who has a totally different life experience than pretty much everyone else who's ever written the character before. And naturally, you're going to get something different out of that. Um, So this is that. This is definitely that for me as well. Uh, The idea that Ta-Nehisi Coates is getting the big job, right? Superman is the big job. Mm. And bringing him back into relevance is the big job Mm -hmm. and the trust that that implies is huge and for him to be a black person it for me is 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 massive i remember when black panther came out i i had very emotional visceral reaction to the idea that it was a black made movie that was huge it gave me hope that one day i can tell the stories that i want to tell and not be pigeonholed by the color of my skin that's a huge albatross that I carry. Uh, so because of that, it's super exciting, and I can't wait to see the story he has to tell. Now, the big question, the big picture idea for this episode is, is the world ready for a black Superman? If the decision is to make Superman black in this movie, if the decision is for it to be Calvin Ellis or some new character, if it's for Michael B. Jordan to play this character, which would be the second time that he's race-bending a character. He played a black human torch in the Fantastic Four movies. Now he's going to be playing, theoretically, a black Superman. Is this something that the world can accept? Is this something that you want? Well, those are two different questions. I know, and I (laughs) asked them both. Uh, Is the world ready? No. Unfortunately, I no, I don't think so. Uh, is it something I want? Yeah, I'd be pumped to see it. 
I'd be pumped as hell. So in in comic history, uh, in the last uh, 13 years or so, uh, Grant Morrison created Calvin Ellis in Final Crisis. Uh, there was a back issue in Action Comics number nine in the New 52 that featured Calvin Ellis. If they decided to like literally interpret that character, I would have to imagine the backlash would be crazy because Calvin Ellis is the president of the United States, you know, inspired by Barack Obama, who's the 44th president of the United States. Like, can Fox News would explode if they made that movie? <laughs> hmm. I I can't imagine they're not exploding at yeah. They must not have gotten wind of this yet that it's being floated. Like. Mm. <clears throat> I think I think the easy answer to say like is the world ready right is no um but but I guess I I guess I ask what does that mean because like I think you could argue that in 2008 maybe the world wasn't ready for a black president but we got one and then that was the world right um everything seems crazy or like you could never do this or whatever until you do it and then there are a lot of people that are mad about it and the next time you do it, a few less are mad, you know, and like, and then that's the way of the world. Um, so I, I, I kind of think that's like almost a moot question um, because I think no matter when you tried to make a movie about a black Superman, it would be controversial. Um, but something being controversial doesn't mean that it's not the time for it or that it's not um, the right thing to do or, or whatever. Right. Like it, it the 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 art needs to come first i guess and then you let people catch up to it the problem with that is this is warner brothers you sure. know like they're not they don't really honestly like they don't care about the art no <laughs> not at all they need a movie what's that i don't think that's true you think warner brothers cares about the art i think that warner brothers had a reputation for being a place that directors could go to tell their story i think mm. that's why uh christopher nolan has chosen to work with them almost exclusively i think that's why uh dennis villain wave yes yeah. dennis villain away thank you i think that's why he's doing the dune movie over there i think that historically they have been an art house a big a big budget art house and that, now that's changing because of the hbo max yeah of it all but i don't know that that's true about that's a fair point general. that's that's fair i guess i should rephrase that i i think there's there's more in they have more from a studio side invested in their ip stuff you know christopher nolan dennis villanueva uh, uh, they're not really directing like uh, franchises, so to speak, they're they're doing their things or adapting, you know, famous literature. Like you get the idea. Yeah, Nolan never directed Batman. I would never direct a Batman. Batman just kind of it does itself every couple of years. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, you know that's why Batfleck was kind of a bad batch. You know, every you get sure. a cold every now and then, and it just kind of comes out. Yeah. That's right. Fair enough. But um, yeah, I I have to think Warner Brothers is concerned with like the temperature of the country when they wanted, when they would do something like this, because, you know, when Obama was elected, like 
a lot of people have argued that that's how we got Trump's eight years later. It emboldened like the extremely racist part of the country. Right? Sure. But I think you can also look at, you know, like if you're saying that the imperative is the almighty dollar, right? Like, well, Black Panther made a billion dollars. So a movie starring a black superhero can make money. Um, oh, yeah. Big time. And there aren't that many of them. So that's another thing that you could consider, right? Like maybe there's an imperative there. Um so to answer the other question, Sean, in terms of do I want this, um, I, I don't have a strong opinion about this as, as a thing. Um, I, think, I think to me it's more like about what does the creator want to do, right? Mm-hmm. Like if, if we're saying that we're getting a script by Ta-Nehisi Coates and I want that and he wants to tell a story about su- a Superman who's black, then I want to hear that story. Um if this is uh, a reverse kind of thing where it's like we want to make a movie about a black Superman, so we're hiring Ta-Nehisi Coates to do that. And uh, that that to me is like a little bit more like, OK, like if he signed on, he probably still has a vision and wants to do it. And he, he sees a way to make that work for him. Um, so cool, whatever. But like I'm more interested in it as a concept if he was like, I have this vision for it and here's why. Um, because he's a creator that I like and that has chops. So it's like, yeah, man, like do whatever, do your thing. Like Sean said, this is your call to the show. And if that's what you want to do, then do it. Yeah. If they can make an excellent, like, you know, whatever they decide to do, if they decide to do a Calvin Ellis Superman or just do Clark Kent and he's black, you know, whatever they decide. Yeah. Uh, and it, it turns out to be a really good movie. Yeah. Great. We haven't had a great Superman movie in 40 years. <laughs> I'll take it. Um, yeah, whatever shape it takes, right? Yeah. Um, that's what's important to me is that it's good and that it resonates with me and that it makes me feel something. So. I ha- I'm very conflicted. Uh, so as far as the question of whether or not the world is ready for this, I think that – I think the world is ready. Well, I think the world is ready for a version of Superman, of a version of a character who has the powers of Superman being black. Is the world ready for that? Yes. Mm. This is not, like, theoretically, right? It's not Clark Kent. So or Hancock. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, we've, we, right. Uh, this is not Clark Kent. So it's not disrupting anything that already exists. It's just putting a different character on screen and theoretically calling them Superman, which is not dissimilar from many things that have happened in the past. Mm-hmm. Now, I think that um, there are people who would push back. I think that's undoubtable. And I think that there are a lot of people who would be upset by it. I think there'd be a lot of racist stuff that would come out of this. Yeah, I think that Post-Trump, this would be a very good thing Mm. to happen. Mm. Um, Interesting. I think it would be a rallying cry for some people, for a lot of people, depending on the quality of it, which I think would be high. Uh, It's something you have to get right. It's not something that you can do and it just kind of is like, eh, whatever, the movie's fine. I don't think it can be that. If Black Panther was, like, average – like, if the reception for Black Panther was this movie is average, that would have been very detrimental. Yeah. Very bad. Very, yeah. very bad. Yeah. 
So you, it can't be bad. It has to be great. And they knew um, that, right? And that's why it's as good as it is. <laughs> right. And that's why Kevin Feige sought out um, Ryan Coogler. And that's why Ryan Coogler put the effort in that he did that, that he knew the he knew what he had to do and i've read his interviews where he talks about that it's it's something yeah. he understood um uh god i'm sorry who directed wonder woman i, patty I, I patty jenkins. Jenkins. thank you i regret not remembering that um patty jenkins said a similar thing she turned down thor the dark world which she was originally attached to because she knew it was going to be bad and she knew that she could not overcome the problems that the movie looked like it was going to have, and that if her name was attached to a movie that was not good, it would mean that women couldn't make superhero movies. That's what that. That's what the narrative would become, and she's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I feel like if Michael B. Jordan or whoever is the actor, the black super, the black Superman there's going to be a lot of weight on that person's shoulders and it's going to have to be the right actor with the right script, with the right director. Everything has to come together for it to be special enough for people to overlook the fact that it's black. That's the way it works. It can't be average. Do you like Michael B. Jordan as a choice? I love Michael B. Jordan. Me too. Uh, I'm a big fan of his. My girlfriend's a big fan of his. I think he is one of the hottest um, black actors in America right now, Mm -hmm. him and uh, John Washington are bona fide stars who have proven themselves and they are the next wave of of black men in Hollywood. So yeah, I do, especially because he's a, he he loves superheroes and he loves comic books and he's been attached to various projects and done various projects over the years. To me, it's a, it's a no-brainer slam dunk. He's also, like, a fucking heartthrob. Like, everybody loves him because he's fucking super handsome, very, like, like likable, you know? And, like, that's Superman, right? Like, <laughs> Sure. Charming, you know? So, before I get into whether or not I want it, I want to read a, just a small bit of what Abrams has said about this. He said, There is a new, powerful, and moving Superman story yet to be told. We couldn't be more thrilled to be working with the brilliant Mr. Coates to help bring that story to the big screen. And we're beyond thankful to the team at Warner Brothers for the opportunity. That screams Black Superman to me. Mm. And let's say that that's the case. I don't think that I want that. Knew it. Yeah. Um, So first of all, first and foremost... I approach it as a comics purist and Clark Kent is Superman. If we were talking about Batman and you asked me, do I want a Dick Grayson Batman movie? I would say no. Uh, Bruce Wayne is Batman. Hmm. That's just how I feel. That's how I will always feel. If there, if the organic story is, this is how we arrived at this point. Like Superman died in BVS and now he's just dead and there's a new Superman and he's Calvin Ellis. That's a lot different. Mm-hmm. I can buy that because the narrative dictates that. But mm-hmm. to just say, here's a black Superman out of the clear blue sky. That's tough. That's tough for me. Um, it's why I can accept Falcon as Cap in the, in the movies, the way they're doing it. But mm-hmm. I couldn't, if they just said, okay, Steve Rogers is Cap. 
or is black or whatever. But putting my purest aside as a human, right? As a black human, I want to see Ta-Nehisi Coates put his stamp on Clark Kent. Yeah. Because no one will ever be able to take that away from him or us that we got to tell a story about the big guy on the big screen. Because people could always say, yeah, Ta-Nehisi Coates wrote the black Superman, but the white Superman is for white people. And mm-hmm. I want to destroy that narrative. Sure. That's the part of this that always hurts. Ryan Coogler made the black superhero movie. You know, he didn't make Captain America. He's always going to be marked like that. So is everybody involved with that project. And I want to see a black person say what they have to say about a character who, for me, I've always felt alienated from. Superman is an alien that white people connect with, but I can't. As a person who feels like an alien in this country, I cannot connect to the alien because he's the alien who represents no matter who created him. I don't give a shit who created him. I'm talking about the way he's presented. He's an alien who connects more with people who feel at home than I do. Mm. And I want that to go away. I want a Superman for the first time to be created for me, not because I'm black Right, but because the person who's telling the story is an other too, mm. that's why. Mm. So I'm not ready for it. Um, I would love to see it one day, but for me, that's gonna be my next question. Tanahisi Coates is the guy to tell the Clark Kent story and show me why I'm supposed to care about that character. Superman as a character is supposed to be a hero for everyone, right? That's sure. that's the point of the character is that Superman saves everyone. But I think at some point, the character was definitely repurposed to represent like white America. This yeah. Especially happened in the 50s. And I don't think that kind of legacy is completely left character. You know, we still have... You know, I think the Richard Donner Superman movie kind of represents like the real pulse of like white baby boomer America. And it's a great movie. I really like it. But like, I was, you know, 1978. I think having the opportunity to have like a really diverse cast with someone as talented as Coates penning this screenplay presents a real opportunity to launch superman into the 21st century and not in the kind of like boardroom kind of environment where like warner brothers executives are like we need to make superman more like batman and said let's make superman actually reflect what you know western society is actually like right now and its values as a as a as a kind of whole because sean has detailed how he feels alienated i don't think i think that's (laughs) Look at how popular the character is right now. That's he's not alone. That I I read something recently that really struck a chord with me. Um, there was this, uh, <laughs> and this is like a weird jumping off point, but just ride ride the ride with me. 
uh, there was this tweet I saw from this school teacher who was saying, I had an exercise in class today where I asked my kids to give examples of non-toxic uh, masculinity in, in fictional characters. And um, the one of the examples that they gave was Kermit the Frog, and she thought that was super funny, right? So this tweet goes viral. A little bit lower, she said, I personally think that the best example is Superman. And I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but she's effectively said that I think Superman's a great example of non-toxic masculinity because he displays very traditionally masculine uh, things about him and his personality. He's strong. He's handsome. Uh, you know, he, he's this, like, poster child of, of, like, a virile, strong man who's a good guy, right? And... Uh, and she said, but the defining thing of his character is that he recognizes that power. And, like, I think that has a really powerful uh, ability to be leveraged as, like, a, a, a conversation about, uh, like, privilege. Right? Of, like, him being this character that is supposed to represent the other and, and these things, right? But, like, you said, Phil, right? Like, he's also immediately synonymous with, like... Uh, like white Americana, like apple pie values or whatever, right? And like yeah. deconstructing that to tell a to have a story about like what America is actually like and what a Superman who represents what Superman's values are and how he would behave in that world, especially given you know recent political context and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I think that that's that's a story that I would also be really interested in hearing. You know. Uh, specifically Coates tell, given what, you know, um, like what he cut his teeth on as a writer, right? Like it was about writing about race in America. Um, so yeah, I, I think, I think to that point, Sean, like there is a really, really powerful um, conduit for that message through specifically a, a white Clark Kent in the power or in the hands of uh, a black writer of his caliber and experience. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, you know, uh, the the black experience as a you know fan of comics and and you know geek entertainment, I guess, is complicated and not always fun. And there's a lot of thinking that has had to go on in my mind um, as I've gotten older to reconcile with the fact that almost none of this was created with the idea in mind that someone who looks like me or has my, you know, some of my experiences would ever come to this. So, um, you know, as that, as that begins to change and there's a more of a, a cognition uh, among people about the fact that, Hey, you know, more than just white people like this stuff, um, there can be unintended consequences of that. It's like more diversity in creators, yes. More diversity in characters, yes. But it shouldn't be that those two things are forced to go together. Mm -hmm. um, I, I read something the other day that you know really frustrated me, and it was condemning Brian Michael Bendis for creating Miles Morales and for not giving that opportunity to a young minority creator. It's like, who the hell are you? 
here's a guy who created a character that resonates with kids all around the world that just had a movie that came out that had kids dressing up like him, feeling empowered. He's in the video game. You know, people are loving this character, right? For for 10 years now, right? Mm-hmm. That he's a household name, right? And the only thing that you can think to say is that screw the guy who created him because he's not black or he's not Spanish or whatever. Fuck you. That's not the point of this. And that's what proves to me that there's so many people who think that they're allies or whatever, the, whatever stupid word you want to throw around that don't get it. Because the point is not that, oh, Bendis is, is not black, so he can't create that character. No, the point is that there are kids who don't have anything that can look up to Miles Morales that will never know who Brian Michael Bendis is. It doesn't even matter. You know, like we know it. But those kids don't know, you know? Well, and and to your point, right? Like, Brian Michael Bendis could make that character. A young black writer in 2011 couldn't have. They can't now. Uh, No. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, And yeah, and the fact that, like, he took what was a really hot, successful book and was like, I'm going to just pivot because I have this idea. Um, And he had the clout to do it. Yeah, man. Like... Like to me, like that's like you know real allyship, right? True like, he cre- allyship. yeah, he created a black icon that 10, 15, 20 years from now there'll be a a black creator who is like, oh, Miles Morales is the reason that I wrote comics, you know? I mean, you can go further back with that. Like, are you gonna say fuck Jack Kirby and Stan Lee for creating Black Panther, which is like the most pervasive black character in comics right now? Exactly. It's a it's a dumb argument, and I'm not trying to point to that as like yeah the norm or, no. or, or, or whatever. But the point is that that's still something that we have to combat. And so I want to make it so that there's fluidity. Uh, and not, not that I have the power to make it. I'm just saying that yeah. that's what I want. In a perfect world. <laughs> right. That there's fluidity and we're not so stuck thinking about race every second that we're constantly questioning, you know, oh, who created this or who wrote that? Like, no, anyone can do anything. Let's break those chains. The only way you do that is to stop thinking about it across the board. When you notice egregious behavior, that's when you call it out. But Bendis wasn't trying to be a dick when he created Miles Morales. He also wasn't trying to earn brownie points. He was being himself and he was creating this character that spoke to him. And that's it. Well, and and also like he said himself, right? Like the whole uh, inspiration for Miles Morales was from the whole movement of people wanting Donald Glover to play peter parker in a spider-man movie at the time and he was like oh yeah like there's clearly hunger for the idea of a black spider-man like i want to tell that story like he he saw a a desire and a hunger and a need for that character and like he filled it because he could and all that's true sean i think with the caveat that it's important for um the equality of opportunity right like you need to be able to have people of different backgrounds be able to actually do the things behind the scenes as well. That's, but that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, I know. I, I was kind of just clarifying. Yeah. Um, we all, well, we don't all, but the hopefully enough of us want to see change happen that one day this conversation won't even be a thing and yeah. Tanahisi Coates writing anything 
won't be a thing. He'll just be a guy who writes like every other guy who writes. Yeah, right. Um, that's <laughs> what I want one day. We're obviously still very far away from that. But this is a moment and how they pro- how they proceed is going to matter. Whether or not Superman is Clark Kent or not in this movie is going to matter. Um, whether or not it's Michael B. Jordan or whoever, some new guy we've never heard of, playing this character is going to matter. And it's yeah. not just going to matter when that movie comes out. It's going to matter for a long time. The way that Black Panther is going to matter for a long time. The way that Black Panther changed the way that Hollywood sees the potential of a Black-made movie in the box office. Yeah. And so in that way... Any decision that they make, right? Any way that they go is a gamble. And they're choosing now this moment of opportunity to plant their flag and say, we're ready for change. Because even just him writing a Clark Kent is change. Yeah. So that's what's happening here. And I'm excited for it, but I'm also trepidatious. And obviously the ball is in Warner Brothers court. And I can't wait to see how this thing unfolds. Hopefully, guys, Warner Brothers doesn't go to Coates or Abrams and says, hey, can you guys appeal to the maggot crowd a little more? Imagine. (laughs) (laughs) Easy Coates is just like, what? All right. What did you just say to me? (laughs) (laughs) So... Uh, that's going to do it for our conversation. Get out of here, oh. Jeff. <laughs> Get oh, my God. Fuck out. <laughs> um, I think we need to uh, lighten the skin tone of Michael B. Jordan here. He's a little too... I don't know. It's just a con. It's a contrast thing. Frankly. I just don't want to offend the MAGA crowd too much. <laughs> Yeah, we can just, we'll just digital digitally alter it so it'll uh, it'll look different on the on the uh, on the screen. Don't worry. Yeah, no, like I know yeah. I know I said we wanted a movie about a black Superman, but like this black. <laughs> I, I know, yeah, can we CGI his mustache out? But also, can we alter his pigmentation too? Could we, hey, Michael B. Jordan? You're a fan of, of of Michael Jackson, right? You remember how like no, no. Would you be willing? To, like, oh God, no. Because we're gonna want you for the sequels too. So that's it. That's the joke. <laughs> that's it. Shut her down. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you want to continue the conversation with us about what we just talked about or anything <laughs> else in this podcast, you can do so by reaching out to us at the comics pals at gmail.com. You can leave us a comment wherever it is you're listening to us while you're there. Please do also leave us a rating and a review, uh, whatever you think is fair. Um, you can get us on YouTube as well. While you're there, leave us a comment, share this video with your friends, drop us a like and subscribe to our channel. Hit the notification bell this, so that you are made aware of when we drop new content on the platform. All of those things are free to do and they help us out a lot more than they cost you. Of course, you can join our Discord server to have conversations about WandaVision or the latest comics or the news and rumors, anything you want. It doesn't even have to be about comics. That's the brilliant part of our Discord server. Uh, be sure to listen to our Vision Book Club, which just dropped. 
uh, or our Civil War book club or our Black Panther book club or any of the myriad book clubs that we have out there. We've got a lot of content. No one has taken my challenge yet of finding, of, of looking at our catalog and not finding a book that they like on there. So I'm going to assume that uh, no one has been able to do that. No one has found a book they don't like. So challenge is still up there. And if you want us to do a book club of your choosing, you can always write in and suggest one. And we do, we will do it eventually. Uh, WandaVision, we watch WandaVision is out now for episode eight of WandaVision. That's episode seven of our show. Go listen to that. And of course, our review of X-Men number 18, this is the return to the vault issue, is also out now. So go and check that out. Last but not least, our interview with Mike Perkins, the artist of the new Swamp Thing and a bunch of other things as well in the past is uh, it was an awesome interview, awesome conversation. You can go check that out as well. Thank you so much. Let's get into the plugs, Pete. Thank you guys for joining us on another episode of the Comics Pals. If you want to connect with me, I'm at loud underscore Pete on Twitter and Instagram. Come chat with me about uh, how you feel about uh, the main topic this week. Um, what do you want to see for Ta-Nehisi Coates' Superman movie? And um, the thing I'm going to plug this week is my band, Long Friend, Time Friend, released our debut album, If Me Dies, Me Dies. It is available uh, wherever you get your albums. It's on Spotify for free. Um, You can get it on Bandcamp, all that stuff. Uh, We worked real hard on it. I'm super proud of it. And I think it really came together to something that's, like, worth checking out. So I hope you will. Go get that shit on Bandcamp. Bandcamp Friday coming up. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Uh, Kale. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Toto Into. That's T O T O I N T O W. Come talk to me about Pokemon, man. Happy Pokemon Day. Mm. Uh, tell me what your favorite Pokemon is. Tell me what your least favorite Pokemon is. I'm I'm here for it. Vanillux. Solid choice. Yeah. Like, Great Pokemon. We- Love him. He's the best. <laughs> He's both. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was oh. Rocky Rhodes. Uh, you can follow me at Cyborg Bebop on Twitter and Instagram. Um, boy, what have I been tweeting about lately? I don't even know. Yeah, whatever I said this episode, you can tell me I was wrong or whatever on Twitter. You can yell at me. I don't care. Um, and of course, you can follow Marco at Twitter and Instagram at the Swamp Boy. Uh, you know, get in there and talk about Swamp Thing with him. All right. As for me. I'm on Twitter and Instagram only at Sean Soapbox. Um, I really would love to hear what you guys think about the uh, idea of a black Superman on screen. You know, is that something that appeals to you? Is that something that you think you're ready for personally? Um, and what are the implications of that? You know, if you've got thoughts about that, please do You can hit me up personally. You can hit me up wherever. Just let's talk about that. With that, we are the Comics Pal signing off. Take care, guys. See you next week. Uh, hello, uh, Comics Pals. This is your uh, producer speaking here. Uh, can you guys do more on your show to appeal to MAGA voters? No. Sure can't. <laughs> yeah, I, I got it. I got it. Uh, Tim Allen as Doctor Strange. Dormammu, I have come to... Uh? <laughs> <laughs> oh, <God. laughs>